episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. This time around, I spoke to Joe Morgan about teaching Key Stage 3 Maths, and I promise you it is a cracker. But just before we dive into that, a quick word from our lovely brand new sponsors. Cue the fancy music. This episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast is proudly supported by Alpha Cards. Now, what are Alpha Cards, I hear you say? Well, they are portable pocket size revision guides. The guides provide top tips to help students with their GCSE English and Maths exams. Now, due to the pocket size size of the product, there isn't an overwhelming amount of material, just the important reminders that students can use to refresh their memories on the school bus whilst heading to an exam. Now, there are four things that I particularly love about the Alpha cards, and I've got one of the cards in front of me here, ready for some sound effects. There we go. Well, the first is because they're small, they easily fit in either a blazer pocket or a trouser pocket. So unlike a revision guide, they can be whipped out at any time, any place. Secondly, they can be made self-quizzable. So what that means is instead of just students rereading over material and getting this illusion of familiarity, students can cover up key information in these revision cards and then quiz themselves or get their mate to quiz them or their parents to quiz them. And we all know that it's this practice quizzing that induces retrieval that helps strengthen those long-term memories. Thirdly, I really like the fact that they are customizable. The English version and the maths version each has spare pages on it where students can write notes to remind them those key things that they think they're going to forget and personalise them to make them have more meaning for them. And finally, these alpha cards are just that bit different. Students are perhaps a bit bored of revision guides, they're bored of watching videos. These are just something that's just that bit out of the ordinary that might just engage students and encourage them to put that extra little bit of revision time in that could make all the difference. Now, schools, teachers and tutors and students can buy the product. Schools and tutors even have the option of personalising the covers with their school logo or tutors could make them into a business card. You can purchase, as I mentioned before, either an English version with a note-making area or a maths version with a note-making area. Or if you want, you can stick both the English and maths together in a combined super revision card deck. And with prices as low as 85p per card for over 250 or 99p for under 250 and 195 for generic covers under 100, you are getting good value for your money. So to find out more, check out alpha-cards.com forward slash shop. That's alpha-cards.com forward slash shop. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes page. And 
if like our friends at Alpha Cards, you are interested in spreading the word about your product, service or event to thousands of the very best listeners in the whole wide world, then just drop me an email at mrbartonmaths at gmail.com to find out more about the sponsor packages available. But back to today's episode with Joe Morgan. Now, as we all know, Joe is a legend of the maths teaching community. Her website, Resourceaholic, is the go-to site for many teachers to find hand-picked, curated, top-quality resources, and her Maths Gems series of blog posts are a must-read for the latest mathematical gold out there. But, as we also all know, Joe is perhaps best known for her frequent appearances on this very podcast, as my co-host for several conference takeaway episodes, as well as a few standalone episodes. Indeed, although I don't think technically she's ever actually said this, it's probably her life's proudest achievement. So, when Joe told me she was moving school and would be focusing purely on Key Stage 3 maths, with no GCSE or A-level in the mix, I knew I had to get her on the show to talk about it, especially having been blown away by her recent maths comp workshop on the very same subject. So, in a wide-ranging conversation, Joe and I discussed the following things and plenty more besides. We begin with a catch-up as I ask how Joe has found juggling teaching responsibilities with being on the senior leadership team. And also, how has Joe and her colleagues adapted to the challenges of teaching amidst COVID? Then, how did Joe feel when she found out she would only be teaching Key Stage 3 mathematics? What mistakes does Joe think schools make with how Key Stage 3 maths is viewed and supported? And then the big one. Joe takes us through some simple strategies to improve Key Stage 3 maths in any school, including advice for heads of department, Key Stage 3 coordinators, aspiring heads of department or Key Stage 3 coordinators, and indeed, every single teacher. Finally, Joe reflects on how she has changed as a teacher over the years. Now, Joe is a very good friend of mine and an excellent podcast guest, and I know, like me, you will get loads out of this conversation. Now, one big fat plug before we start, as you'll hear at the beginning of this interview, Joe and I are about to launch our online course entitled Marvelous Maths 2, Misconceptions, Methods and Mastery. Indeed, if you're listening to this episode on Friday the 21st of October 2020 or after it, then hopefully the course should already be live. It's been loads of hard work, but we are dead, dead proud of how it's turned out. And if you're looking for a way to support our work and hopefully get some top quality CPD along the way, then please consider purchasing a course pass. Details are on the show notes page. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Joe Morgan. I really hope you enjoy this one. I know you will. And as ever, I will see you on the other side. Right, Joe Morgan. So firstly, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I, I'm very lucky because I get two weeks half term and I have just started that. So what a relief. <laughs> I forget you have this cushy job where you just holidays well, all the time. Lots of schools now have a two-week October half term. And I remember I used to think it was a terrible idea because I used to think oh, I won't have enough time to get through all the GCSE content if we take these two weeks off. But now I'm in a school that does it. I think it's the best idea ever. Like, you know, this is the time when teachers are so exhausted 
and it is wonderful. It's, it's you know, it's like the Christmas holidays, the length of it. So it's it's really nice. And just remind me, where, where are you losing time there? Where where does it come back and bite you? Um, it doesn't really. I think in other in other because this is across Harris Federation and in other Harris schools, the say the year 11s might have a longer school day on certain days of the week. So ah. that's where they gain the time. But I kind of benefit because I only have key stage three at my school, so we don't have any longer school days with sort of an extra lesson bolted on the end of the day. But we still get the two week half term. So um, it's wonderful. But obviously my kids are only off in the second week. So I get to do the school run for a week, which means, you know, I get some contact with my children's school and, and it's, that's really lovely. So I'm very, mm. very pleased that I'm in the situation, but I apologise to teachers who are now angry at me because I didn't get to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, they'll be absolutely fuming there, but that segues nicely into just something we were going to talk about before we dive into key stage three. And that is because you have this two week half term last year, we were able to run our marvellous maths course because that meant you didn't have to take any time off work. You could do it in that first week that uh, you were off but other schools were were in or whichever way around it worked now this year of course as we teased on our previous podcast we are moving marvelous maths online so we are launching marvelous maths 2 um i always get this wrong so catchy misconceptions methods and mastery so i have spent um a fair chunk of time in this last week planning the misconceptions part of this um, and we can now exclusively reveal the three topics that we're tackling they are decimals coordinates and Pythagoras so there's a bit of something for everybody in there so I've spent a load of time diving into the hundred plus million answers on diagnostic questions picking out misconceptions picking out student explanations some absolutely fascinating ones um, in there that I never saw coming but then I'm handing over to you because you're then going to do the methods and mastery section of it so do you want to just uh Tell teachers what you got in mind. Show me planning this over the next few days, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get stuck in because I'm having looked at the uh, misconceptions that you've pulled out. I think there's some fascinating stuff there. And, and, and it gives us so many opportunities to think, how can we preempt those misconceptions and how can our teaching address those misconceptions? So I'll be talking about... Um, Things that teachers do in the classroom to, um, you know, to for the real clarity of teaching the students mastering the concepts and all the things, all the oh, particularly the tasks we can use because the tasks we use are so important. And oh, I've got such good resources to share. I can't, wait, I can't <laughs> wait to share them. The resources are always a bit that excite me the most. And um, but it'll be a bit like um, the topics and depth sessions that we've done, where you know this is the sort of thing where if a teacher is um, the teachers can either watch them for their general professional development because the ideas will apply to all topics mm. or if a teacher is say a teacher is about to start teaching Pythagoras and they're thinking you know what I want to I want to really wrap my head around this topic before I start teaching it then this is like this will be perfect and the fact it's online means that it will then be you know that they can access this at a time that really suits them so just before or or maybe in the half term before they teach this topic they can um, they can watch the course and uh, and then they can go into that topic really confident that they know that topic inside out and they've got all the best tasks and all the best ideas and all the best explanations. Um, so I think it's going to be a really useful resource for teachers. Absolutely, and possibly by the time people are listening to this, it may even be available to to uh, to purchase. It's we're keeping the cost dead dead low. We're going for twenty five pound plus VAT 
per person and there are bulk discounts available. So if you check out the podcast show notes page, you'll see a link to that. I will be tweeting and blogging about it, but that's Marvelous Maths 2. Oh, and we've also brought on board AQA and White Rose as our sponsors. And they're not just sponsoring the event, they're going to be providing free resources as well to tackle some of these misconceptions. So it's going to be a bundle of fun. It's a shame we can't do it in person, but this is the next best thing. And hopefully it's going to bring some um, additional advantages that we simply couldn't do in person. So that is Marvelous Maths 2. Right, Joe Morgan. So um, again, just to kind of build this up a little bit more, just before we kind of cover the main area, which is Key Stage 3 Maths, just a few catch-up things. Um, my first question to you is, how have you found juggling all the teaching that you've got to do with also being on the senior leadership team? Because if I'm right in saying this is a this is a new experience for you, right? Being quite so heavily involved in senior leadership whilst teaching at the same time, and then chuck into the mix the fact that we've got COVID and it's all kicking off. So how's how's that been for you? Yeah, it is, it is very new to me, and I still feel very um, kind of inexperienced in the role, but um, certainly... It's a, it's a steep learning curve and, and I feel like, you know, I'm getting better and better at juggling it all. So, you know, I was a, I was, my career path was I was teacher, then lead practitioner. Then I did a year as a maths consultant on the central team. And that's where I was going into lots of different Harris schools and kind of teaching bits of year 11. And then the, the role came up at my current school, which is assistant principal. And it's a school that's around the corner from me. I want my kids to go there. It's a wonderful new school. And so I took that on kind of, um, I was a bit unsure because I thought I never wanted to go into senior leadership. Like, that's never appealed to me. I always wanted my career to be maths focused, you know, maths head of department, maths um, kind of leadership roles. And I never wanted to do school leadership. Um, but it, it was such a, an opportunity I couldn't miss because building a new school from scratch is really exciting. So I thought, you know, this is this is a this is a, a role that I'm going to have a go at. And, and um, actually, I've I've liked it more than. I expect it because I get to do things I'm um, that I really enjoy. So I I did a timetable for the first time, and it's running smoothly. There's nothing wrong with my timetable. You know, no one ever says, no one ever comes up to you and says, "What a great timetable this is." Actually, you know, the fact it runs smoothly is, really makes me happy. Um, and obviously, it's good to do something like that for the first time with only three year groups. So you know, yes. my first ever go at timetabling, I only had to worry about years seven, eight, and nine. Next year, I'll be doing um, GCSE timetabling for the first time, but I'll have already had this sort of uh, this this one year's experience of the sort of easier stuff. And it's like that with all of my role. You know, I get to try things on a smaller scale rather than taking a role as an assistant head in a full size school where it's like it's you know it's it's um, a very different role then. Um, but um, yeah, it's. So I, I like the stuff I do because I do I do lots of spreadsheet stuff, which I'm you know this this week I built a um, um, a, some, a teacher asked me for help with a spreadsheet and I did a, a triple nested if function with multiple v- wow. and things like that. Just I love that and that sort of how, that goes back to my role before I was a teacher because you know, I built all those skills, all those analysis and data and spreadsheet skills then. So I love it. I get to do things like that. Um, and I love it that I get to run whole school stuff. So you know my 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 principal said to me a few weeks ago. Um, right, every year seven in the school needs to do baseline testing because they haven't done their SATs and we got them to do online testing in maths, English and science and we got them to do CATS tests and all sorts of things. And then, you know, he just sort of, he'll just say that and then I have to sort of lead the whole thing, organise the whole thing and decide how we're going to report to parents and all that sort of thing. So I, and I do enjoy all that. But like you say, it's the balancing it with maths is the challenge because I love teaching maths and um, it's it's kind of bottom of my list of priorities at the moment because, you know, the, yes. the very last thing I do, basically I plan my maths lessons um, in the evening at sort of about nine o'clock. It's like the, it's just last on my list every day is to get my lessons ready for the next day. Um, but I guess I've been teaching long enough now that my lesson planning is 
it's fairly quick because um, particularly if I can reuse last year's lessons, um, which I can't do for year nine this year because I didn't teach year nine last year because we didn't have a year nine. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, it is, it is, a, luckily I've got the, the best head of maths in the school. So, you know, it's, she's, uh, she does such a great job that really I, I, uh, you know, I line manage her, but she doesn't need much line managing because she's absolutely awesome. So I can really trust her to run this fantastic maths department. Um, and yeah, I guess. Do, so- do you find, did you find Joe that this is the, the thing that's always kind of put me off even going into head of department, let alone senior leadership. And yeah. that is any time that I've worked with um, heads of department or senior leadership, they're often getting kind of even dragged out of lessons. So they're having to set cover work because they've got an important meeting here and there and so on. So it's not just that they're losing time in terms of their planning of their teaching. They're actually can't physically be there sometimes in lessons. And I always thought that would do my head in that. Oh, um, that would. And I don't, the thing is, I'm in charge of cover for the school, which I, I mean, <laughs> this is awful. Last year we had a vice principal who was in charge of cover. And then um, she left um, She left in the summer term and they gave a job to me this year. And this is the worst possible year because obviously, there's people constantly mm. being off with COVID test results. You know, they're just waiting or sitting at home all week waiting for their COVID test results. So I'm having to get loads of supply in this year. Um, but as I as I'm in charge of cover, I'm really fussy about it. Like no no one gets out of a lesson in my school unless they're, unless they're sick. So um so no I, I I haven't I never have not once have I had to cover one of my maths lessons because I've had a meeting or something. Like you know to me the lessons take absolute priority. Um, but um, so no I'm not being dragged off and missing my lessons. Um, I think my students um, get just as good a deal with me as they do with anyone else um, in the school in terms of, you know, I I still uh, do the same kind of assessment marking and all the, all the uh, you know, I'm still setting all their homeworks on Hexing. And so I'm still doing, I don't think, I don't think my, my students notice any difference having um, an assistant principal teaching them. Um, and I benefit from the fact that they don't say a bloody word in my lesson <laughs> like because, they, because they think oh there's a senior leader let's let's so I don't have to do any behavior management this year it's really funny because they're really good kids they're really good students but it's not like we have perfect behavior in a school you know whether we're a normal comprehensive we have plenty of, of challenging students there and behavior is good across the school but um I, last year I still had um I still had challenging classes I was still setting detentions and stuff but because now I've been there a year and they all now know I'm assistant principal this year it's it's like I, I don't know if this is it I don't think it's me I don't think suddenly I'm brilliant at behavior management I think they just you know it's literally just my my position means that they just kind of um they just they just do the right thing in my lesson because they think oh this is a senior member of staff so we should do the right thing and I kind of feel like I'm cheating on behavior management I feel a bit like you know I don't have to do any of it myself and and it's sort of it's it's kind of yeah I feel like a bit of a fraud you know I'm just I just turn up to the lesson and they all sit there nice and quietly and do their work and and don't put a foot wrong and I think yeah this isn't me doing being good at behavior management this is uh, this is them thinking oh this isn't head we must do the right thing I'll tell you what, two two week half term and then no behavior management yeah. issues. Cush, cushy life again. It sounds cushy, doesn't it? Life. But actually, you know what? I, I remember when I used to teach when I was head of maths at Glynn, where it was it was ridiculous how few free periods they gave me there. You know, I think I had something like on the twenty five uh, hour week. I think I had maybe three free periods, which is kind of the same as a normal teacher. Mm. Even though I was um, leading a well joint leading a department of eighteen teachers, it was a huge wow. department. And um, and all my frees, I had to, I ended up getting dragged into dealing with behaviour stuff in other classrooms and things. So I pretty much had no frees, and I was just working so hard. And I just thought, what well, if I were to get a more senior position, I would teach fewer lessons, and that will help. So this year, I only teach twelve lessons a week. So I have thirteen. 
I say 13 freeze, obviously I've got loads of meetings and those. Um, and but but no, I'm no, I'm still just as busy. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make a difference really. So you end up um, you end up with fewer lessons to teach, but I, I feel busier than ever. So yeah, I, I kind of always thought that it would be a slightly cushier job having fewer to teach, but it doesn't work out like that. Your time gets filled no matter no matter where you are in school. So whether you're an NQT or senior leadership or or a head of department, you still um, teaching is incredibly challenging and incredibly hard work. And, you know, we just, uh, we keep going in term time and then we get our half terms. It's like, yay, <laughs> my break, finally. But yeah, it's certainly, um, yeah, it sounds cushy, but um, I don't think I've ever worked as hard as I'm working this year. Um, I'm um, particularly with the COVID stuff. And all the other- well, yeah, let's, well, let, let, let's have a quick mention then of, of COVID because you're now through the first half term of, of having to deal with this. Um, I, again, I'm interested in both sides of this, job. I'm interested in your take as a senior leader, but also your take as a teacher. What, what if it's a not a, not a stupid question? What have been some of the challenges of of, of teaching amidst COVID, and, and any lessons that you've learned? Um, so my school, we're a bit different to others. We we haven't done masks so far at all, um, and we and you know it's interesting. We haven't done masks, and we haven't had any COVID cases. And I know that most schools and the students and teachers are in masks, at least in corridors. We haven't done mm. that at all. Um, so, But we are having to now introduce that because now London's just today gone to, I don't know what it's tier two or whatever they're saying is. Mm. Um, we now have to introduce masks after half term. So that may that may bring fresh challenges. Um, but because we haven't done anything on masks so far, it does mean that apart from the bubble setup and the fact that I can't circulate around the room, I feel like it's been... Um, it's it just it just feels like business as usual most days. I suppose we've just very quickly got used to it all. So you know, the first the first two weeks it was crazy where everyone was like, oh my god, I have to move rooms all the time and <laughs> I don't know where I'm meant to be. But now I just think everyone's got into the swing of it and it just feels it feels like normal now. But um, yeah, I think I think for me the biggest challenge in in terms of teaching is not being able to circulate. You know, I have to stay in in the box at the front of the room, and that that has really that I just I just feel like I'm I still don't really know how whether the students in the in the at the back of the room really get it as you know as well as I used to when I used to circulate more um we the moving between classrooms is actually has brought wonderful things like our warm-up booklets have, have, have really really had a big impact in our school they're working really well um well, just just but just mention those Joe yeah. for people who aren't aware of those what, what are they so what we do is um and I know a lot of schools have done this as well it's worked brilliantly because because we can't greet the students at the classroom at the beginning of the lesson because they're normally in the classroom already mm. when we arrive because we've had to move from a different bubble um we arrive at the classroom and they're already working on their warm-up booklets which we gave them at the start of the half term um, and there's warm-up booklets are they're basically they're retrieval stuff so it's sort of mixed retrieval questions but the way we did it was all the year seven ones were just sats questions um and that was re- that's been really helpful for for really gauging their kind of levels and it's been really that's been a really good assessment tool to see how they get on with those sats questions and then for year eight and nine we did retrieval of um topics taught in previous years but actually what we did really effectively there was we we heavily focused the things they were meant to do during lockdown. So, for example, my year nine class were meant to have done Pythagoras in lockdown. But we know that, let's say, a good third of them probably did very little of that just Mm. because they weren't engaging in online school. And then maybe two thirds of them did it. But we know that the experience of learning, um, I mean, we did it all through Hegarty, which is an amazing uh, online platform. But we know that they're not going to have learned as much as if they've been in the classroom with us. So what we've done is every day for three or four weeks in their Walmart booklet, they had a Pythagoras question 
And then we use that to teach Pythagoras. Um, so that meant that we've basically addressed those lockdown topics um, through our warm-up booklet. So it's kind of got a couple of mixed retrieval questions and then and then it's got the, the Pythagoras question every day, which we're using as a teaching mechanism. And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant in that we feel that our lessons start really smoothly. We feel like it's, it's a smoother start than it was previously when we weren't moving classrooms. Like we just feel like this is something mm. that we are now going to keep forever. We're always going to do warm-up booklets from now on. Um, the students absolutely love the routine. They know exactly what they should be doing at the beginning of every lesson. Um, it's been a useful assessment tool for us to figure out, um, you know, to get to know our classes. Um, but also it's been great at addressing those gaps. So I think um, the warm up booklets have been, you know, every teacher in my department is uh, is saying, you know, this is something we're going to keep doing and it's something we've really benefited from. So that's been um, that's been the best idea that's come out of this uh, situation we're in. What, what do you do with the answers there, Joe? Is it just project them up on the board or go through them? I think, I think every teacher in my department does that a bit differently. I think some teachers project them. I go through them. I think some teachers think that going through them takes up too much of the lesson, but I don't. I don't find that it does. I think it's. Um, I go. I go through them. So the um, what happens is the the kind of mixed retrieval questions from previous years. Um, I ask the students a student to you know our cold core student to give me an answer, um, but then the Pythagoras bit or whatever whatever lockdown topic it is we're going through in a bit more detail. I I go through that because obviously I want them to to learn from me how to do that, and then they kind of. Uh, make they make their corrections and then it's actually it's amazing you can see that improvement if you look through so I did a I did a book look or work scrutiny for my um my head of maths and I looked through her warm-up booklets and it was just beautiful because it was literally like the first lesson on Pythagoras where it was literally just find the length hypotenuse this student that I was looking at didn't know how to do it they'd made their corrections when when the teacher had gone through it in class and then the next lesson they got it right and then you could li- right. you could literally see that progression in that topic where they were meant to do it in lockdown. They clearly either had forgotten it or didn't do it because they didn't have a clue on the first lesson. But after the sort of five or six lessons of it being in the warm-ups, they knew how to do that Pythagoras question. So it's amazing to just see that that um, that progression. But yeah, I don't think that would happen if, it, if a teacher wasn't going through it. I don't think it would happen if you were just projecting the answers there. And just in terms of that other challenge that you mentioned, the um, assessing students' understanding, particularly those who are far away from the board, yeah. how, how are you coping with that, Joe? Are, are mini whiteboards just an absolute no-go just because of the hassle of... Uh, oh, no, we do. We have mini whiteboards. Yeah, we're a mini, we're a mini whiteboard school. So I know some schools have said no to it, but we just gave all of our students their own mini whiteboard. Yep. They take it home with them every day and then that's then no one else touches it. Um, so, that, yeah, I think the thing is, it's, it's funny because I've got members of my department who use mini whiteboards all the time time and always have done and they're still using those for assessment so to, I guess to them it hasn't really affected their um, lessons the, the fact that we can't circulate because they've always been big mini whiteboard users but you get someone like me who I've never been great at using mini whiteboards I've always been more a circulator mm-hmm. and I thought oh this year I'm going to use have to use mini whiteboards all the time but it's very hard to change the way you do things so I, I'm not doing as well on that as I wanted you know I've sort of imagined that this year I'd use them every single lesson throughout the lesson um, but I do think it's quite hard to start doing something dramatically different in your lessons, um, particularly someone like me who's been teaching for a long time and, and I've never really done much of it. So, yeah, I need to do more of it. I'm still very aware I need to do more of it because, um, yeah, we did we did some um, small assessments recently, just little uh, sort of half hour topic uh, assessments. And, um, yeah, there were some where particularly in my year sevens with the algebra where we'd introduced algebra for the first time. And I was like, some of them in the back row just had no idea. And it's like, that's because I haven't done enough mini whiteboard assessment and I haven't been able to go and look over their shoulder. 
and I haven't been able to circulate to support them. So yeah, it's um it does it does go to show that if I was doing more on the mini whiteboards, then I would have known that better. Yeah, that's, so that's interesting. It is hard. It is hard if you've been teaching a long time to change what you do but there are times when now where I sit at my desk and it's just you know I, I used to work with someone who did that if you ever went into her lesson during a maths lesson and she'd been teaching for a very long time um and if you ever went into her classroom she'd always be sitting down and I always thought she can't sit down you don't sit down when you're teaching but that's just what she did and I think I don't I think maybe if a student needed help they'd literally just come up to the front and she'd be sitting there and they'd come and bring their work to her um, and I found that really unusual because I never have sat down in a math lesson in my life. You know, I'm on my feet the whole time. But this year, there's been times where they're all working on something and I've kind of looked up and down the front row and I'm not allowed to go anywhere else. And then I've sat down <laughs> and I thought, this is really weird. Um, but yeah, so it is, um, I guess, I, yeah, it, I, I'm very aware I need to um, I need to use many whiteboards more. Um, but yeah, I do. we do plenty of, um, my. I suppose, my cold calling questioning is one of my main ways of assessment now and um yeah we're marking um, as we usually do we do uh, two big unit assessments every half term and the, that that gives me some insight as well but um yeah at the moment it, it's it's a challenge not being able to circulate it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one well, well just on that um and again this is slightly off topic but I, i've had a lot of messages on, on twitter for um, my process for doing worked examples i do my silent teacher then narration and then yeah. there's a read the maths bit but the final bit of it is show call to use one of uh, douglamov's uh, techniques yeah. and that involves um i mean circulating is the absolute key to show call because whilst the kids are working on the your turn bit you're wandering around and you're looking for any examples of misconceptions or any examples yeah. of excellence but you then whiz under the visualizer and then we discuss them as a class and of course that's just absolutely ruled out but what um what i've been working on with with a few teachers is kind of pre pre-write the teacher pre-writing the show call material so the teacher doing a, an example of excellence that they pre-write themselves that they can then put up on the board to discuss but also the teacher thinking of common ways students may go wrong with the your turn and kind of creating a, 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 a worked example with mistakes in it, banging that up on the board and then discussing it. So there are, there are always ways around things, aren't there? It's, it's yeah. never, never ideal if you can't circulate, but in terms of kind of focusing on mistakes that students may make, you can preempt them and so on. It's just, it's just awkward, but there are, there are ways around, I guess, is the message. Yeah. And I think I do, I always do a lot of that in my teaching. I say, you know, here's, here's the really common mistake and, um, mm. and I, and I always try and preempt preempt them which I guess is just something again that comes with experience where you kind of know where they're going to go wrong and, e yes. and even sometimes it's not you know I was teaching percentage increase and decrease the other day and I said to them I said to them I'll tell you what the most common mistake is here and it's and it's <laughs> not even um it's not even a, a kind of maths misconception. It's it's a it's a silly mistake where I can almost guarantee that someone in this room is going to increase when it says decrease or vice versa. Yeah, and then yeah. it was, you know you sort of preempt that, and then they start doing the work, and then when you're going through marking, someone someone says someone puts on and says, "Miss, I did that thing that you said I was going to do." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I suppose that's um, I guess I, I sort of yeah. There's lots of things that already exist in my teaching, which kind of help with um, with help with with help with assessment and all that kind of thing. It's all that kind of um responsive teaching that's sort of built into our practices already um but yeah the it's the it's funny isn't it it's actually what I find is so seating plans are, are massively important so for example with my year sevens I've got a girl on the back row who 
asks questions about everything like she just she can't if she if she struggles to wrap her head around something that I'm talking about she's she'll have a million questions about it um but she's on the back row and her questions I think are different to what everyone else's would be so so for me to address her question across the room with everyone listening Mm. I'm always kind of thinking I don't think the rest of them need to to hear this I think it's just her that needs to hear it you know sometimes sometimes you know the question is relevant to everyone and sometimes it's you know it's just this one girl but I can't get to her so obviously this just calls for a seating plan change and it's a pretty easy fix. So obviously we go back after half term and I've got, um, I've got a new seating plan in mind and I need to put her at the front. And then when she asks those very specific kind of questions that I don't think that everyone needs to hear the answer to, then I will, I'll be able to go directly to her because I can talk directly to the front row, but I can't talk directly to anyone else without the, without the whole class listening. That's interesting. I've not considered that the strategic seating plan for kind of one-to-one conversations. Yeah, yeah that is very interesting. Yeah, and mm. you know, and it makes. I mean, I have like I have a um I have a TA in that room, and and it's only, it's only because I have um a student in a wheelchair in there, so there's always a TA in there. You know, I don't I don't have kind of um I have a, a mixed ability class. I don't have a particular need for a TA. Um, so actually she she's been a um so helpful for this kind of back row situation. Um, but um she was absent the other day, the TA. Um, and I thought and I and then I just realized how much I've been relying on her to help those students on the back row. So yeah, it really shows how that seating plan is massively important. Um, and it's interesting because our see our TAs can obviously go in, in amongst the students because they they yes. wear a visor. Um, but with my my principal has specifically said that teachers are not to put on a visor and go in amongst them. So it's a bit of a it's a I think some teachers are sort of quite frustrated by that because they, they just say, look, please let me just put on the visor because I just need to to go into the classroom. I can't stay at the front anymore. So it's um yes, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's causing some kind of uh, some teachers to just kind of, you know, they're really they're really desperate to get back in amongst their students. Which is really nice, isn't it? It's nice that we want to be amongst our students. It just shows how uh, how important it is to actually have those conversations in the lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's turn our attention now to uh, the main topic of our, of our conversation, which is uh, Key Stage 3 Maths. Now, as we mentioned when we did the conference takeaway after the last Maths Conf, this is going to be based on the talk that you did, the workshop you ran, but also going a little bit further and because it, it fascinated me um, and I wanted to spend a bit more time on it than we would have done in a, in a standard conference takeaway podcast. So to kick things off, Joe, um, just give us a bit of background here in your experience. So what year groups have you taught in your career? What have you most in and what have you most enjoyed teaching? Right, well, when I, st- in, when I started um, my career, I was in a grammar school and, I, and I, I, I was in that school because that was where my first PGCE placement was. And they, they all gave me a job during that placement. Um, and that was back. Do you remember back when everyone used to teach kind of in most schools? It was three lessons a week, wasn't it? For each year group. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty yeah, common. Yeah. So you teach three lessons year seven, you have three lessons. Year, and even your year 11s had three lessons a week, which is now very unusual because Absolutely. the GCSE got bigger. But back then you could pretty much teach every year group if you're a full time teacher. Yeah. So right, yeah, right. so your timetable would have everything on it. So that's how I started, and you know the first few years of my career were very much to, you know teach a bit of every year group, um, and uh, you know I guess I think I always you know I think I think it's it's pretty common to have a preference for A level. So I won't you know I won't <laughs> pretend that I didn't you know and that's and that's that's got all sorts of reasons. First of all, that the maths is challenging, which makes it enjoyable to someone who likes maths. Um, so obviously I like I enjoyed the the sort of the challenge of teaching calculus in year thirteen and that sort of thing. But also your classes are smaller. You haven't got to do any behaviour management. And there's all those things which just make A-level teaching really lovely. Yes. Um, so there's, um, and but there's not to say there aren't challenges of A-level teaching. I mean, when I was uh, in my in my next school, 
school, we had A-level classes of, of 30 plus students. Um, and that was that. So that meant um, that you had a lot of marking because A-level marking takes wow. ages. I mean, you know, because A-level marking obviously is a big thing because you're having yeah. to read long questions and you're having to search through to find where they went wrong. So it's, you know, A-level marking is very time consuming. And when you've got um, a normal size A-level class of say between 10 and 15, then mm. it's um, that's manageable. But when you've kind of got 30, I had 32 in a year 12 class at one point. And, that, wow. and at that school, they, um, they wore uniform in year 12. And it was a very mixed, mixed attainment, um, mm. let's say, uh, A-level class where a lot of them had come through with it was the old GCSE, so a lot of them had come through with Bs. Um, and it was just like teaching year 11. You know, they were in, yeah. they were in uniform. Yeah. There were 32 in the class. There was a real mix in there. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, you know, I, when I think, when I picture A-level teaching and I picture this sort of very small class of very bright students doing really hard maths and the sort of enjoyment of working through it with them, um, that's, that wasn't always my experience of A-level teaching. Sometimes it was very different to that. It's, geez, I, I had the exact same experience with that. I, I, it's, it's, it's bad. Like I've had some, some ropey classes over the years and I used to look at my, and I, I'm a big warrior and I used to look at my timetable and think, oh God. And I'd focus in on like the dodgy year nine or yeah. the dodgy year 10 class. And like A-level when that appeared, that was like salvation. I, cu- I couldn't wait. Yeah. And particularly the sixth form center was a, a little bit away from the school side so walk. And it was like walking into a nice safe haven where, you know, I could, <laughs> amongst like-minded people and so on it's interesting what you say though as um as maths a level became more popular and those year 12 classes increased in size and also i think funding was it was yeah. a key issue here like schools had to um, attract bigger numbers to to keep the, those the, keep the funding going for, for sixth form so perhaps you could make the argument that the um kind of re- requirement to, to that you needed to, to get to, to to study at the level you need to get to to study level maybe dipped a little bit I think that's that's fairly fair to say that meant that I found year 12 teaching slightly less enjoyable um, as the years went on certainly in that first term where as you say you could have 20 25 30 30 students who essentially six weeks ago were year 11 students and hadn't suddenly magically matured over those six yeah. weeks to become independent uh, mathematicians or anything like that but I always for me year 13 was always my favorite because by the time you got to year 13 the numbers really dropped you were left with the keen ones they had the fact that a level a levels were coming up um they've got university applications they knew they needed to up their game they were a bit more mature and they were I used to think sometimes during those lessons I can't believe you're paying me to do this particularly when I was teaching further maths yeah I was thinking there were like four or five kids in there yeah they were like this sounds pathetic, but I, I would rather have been spending time with them than some of my best mates because I had more in common with them. You know, we yeah. we could chat, we could chat about yeah calculus and stuff. I was well happy with that. So yeah, yeah. A level has always held a special place in my heart, and it'd be interesting when we get onto your experiences, particularly not only dropping A level but dropping Key Stage Four as well. Yeah. I always said to myself, I don't think I could ever teach without having A level on my time. Yeah, and I definitely thought that. I mean, you're right. If you th- if I think to some of my loveliest experience in teaching, I picture myself sitting with a small further maths class. And you, yeah. I didn't even ever really have to, I mean, plan those lessons particularly because, you know, yes, you, kind yeah. of, you, you go for a couple of examples with them and then they get stuck right. into some problems and you sort of work with them on the problems. That's and, right. Oh, it's lovely stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that sort of that that was you're right. The sort of uh, the small year 13 classes um, were delightful. And I, and I love all that. I love all the calculus and the trig and all that. I, I just there's such nice things to get stuck into. Um but I did also, I, I've always enjoyed teaching year 11. I mean, I suppose the thing is you've got all that exam pressure, but you sort of think, 
if you've got the kind of confidence that you know what you're doing, then then you know that's um, you've got that that kind of uh, that end goal is quite rewarding, mm. isn't it? It's like yeah. we're working towards something really important, and we're all focusing on it. And exactly. of course, you get challenges in year eleven, of course you do. But you um, and and also you know that you've got that oh you've got that gain time at the end of the year. <laughs> So that's nice. So, um, but yeah, I think the when I think back to when I moved to Glynn, which was my second school, and I was at that was a comprehensive, and um, I was given, I was the the first big year eleven class I taught was when I was I think it was so I joined Glynn in the summer term, and then I took on a bottom set year eleven in the September, and I only had them for maybe a month, and then they decided to move all the teachers in year eleven around. And then so mm. I lost them. And that was going to be my first attempt at teaching foundation year 11. I'd never done it mm. except at a grammar school. Um, and they moved me to a middle set year 11. And it was the kind of class where they were all on C's and D's at the time, but they were all meant to be targeting A's and B's. So I had sort of, I hadn't from the October to the June to sort that out. Um, yes. And then, and I did, and it was amazing. And it was just like the best, <laughs> that was the best and most rewarding year I've had in teaching year 11 in that I took on a class who were not going to pass and then they passed, you know, and like that, yes, I was just, yes. it was just that, that is where the rewarding teaching comes, where you're really making a difference. Whereas in the subsequent years, two years in a row, I then taught top set year 11. And that's, that's great. It's nice teaching top set year 11, but I didn't find it as rewarding as, you know, cause you don't feel like you're making quite as big a difference to them. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So I think, yeah, I think my, my favorite ever, my most rewarding experience ever was teaching that kind of middle year 11 class. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, and I, I've, I've always seen myself as a year 11 and uh, year 12 and 13 teacher just because at Glynn, that's that's what they gave me. And um, they once, once while I was there, they gave me a year seven class. And it was a very challenging year seven class. And everyone kind of laughs about that because they say, mm. how can year seven be difficult? Mm. But it was, this was a boys school. So I had 32 year seven boys in a room. It was a set three out of four. And they were very there was a lot of send in the room, lots and lots of very high level special needs in the room, um, lots of ADHD and lots of ASD. Um, and I found, um, and there were some, there were a couple of very badly behaved children in the room who were subsequently after I left were um, excluded from the school. Um, but that was that I hated it. You know, I hated it because <laughs> I was teaching them what I saw as like, you know, we sort of start the year with, oh, you know, operations so let's start the year with some multiplication and division all that stuff and it's like so I'm so I didn't feel like they were enjoying secondary maths I wasn't enjoying teaching this stuff I hate teaching fractions oh don't make me fractions (laughs) so I had I didn't like the stuff I was teaching I found the class really challenging I found it was just lots and lots of admin with all the sort of behavior stuff going on um and I just didn't and, and that was the only one on my timetable that wasn't an exam class um, yes. And it was almost like, you know, I had them and it's four days a week. So you barely ever get a break from them. And it's like, oh, and I really, really didn't enjoy it. Um, and the, la- the last time I taught them, they were uh, the, some of them blew uh, oh, spitballs. <laughs> <laughs> you know they were like scrunching up bits of paper and out spitting them and I was like and I was like and I never want to teach I never said it to them obviously but I was thinking I never want to teach key stage three again like this is like yes. the worst experience and um, so at that point um when I knew there was a new school opening up in my area and I thought should I go and uh, apply to be head of maths there um because it'd be really lovely to be in a new school around the corner for me and I just thought no way I've just had this this terrible year seven class and I don't want that to be my whole life 
<laughs> that's that that's interesting. Just just before we we go any further into this, it's fascinating. This Joe, just to, just to bring in a couple of my experiences with this. Um, when I first started teaching um, in the school just outside of Liverpool, um, where I started my career, that was in the time where Year Nine still did SATs and GCSE was still modular. So um, it was amazing because. I know people slag off exams and again, we shouldn't be teaching for kids to pass exams and all this kind of thing. I'm very much aware of that. But as you alluded to with year 11, the fact that year nine had SATs coming up and the fact that year 10s had GCSE modules coming up fairly regularly, and in fact, coursework was still in those first couple of years as well, meant that there was always a focus there for the kids. So year nines, because SATs was always hanging over them, I just found that they were a lot more focused, particularly compared to subsequent year nines that I taught in in the same school. Same with year tens. Whereas now it's it's really interesting with um with year nines and year tens in particular, GCSEs are just that just far enough away that I think in kids' heads they can think, well, I can afford to sit off a little bit here. I can afford to. It doesn't matter. I'll I'll sort it all out in year eleven. And and particularly in many schools where year eleven is the big focus. Like I remember mm. in a school that I've taught at. The, the kids were very aware that by the time they get to year 11, that's when the real kind of pressure starts in the sense that kids are having these one-to-one meetings with senior leaders every half term and all this. This is when all the parents are getting involved and all that. Year 10s weren't getting any of that. Mm. So once you take those exams away, SATs and the modular GCSE, the kids lose a bit of that focus. Not all kids, of course. Yeah. And I think it, it does make teaching that that bit more difficult. And I think that's where exams certainly have a place in terms of helping kids get a bit more focused. And I, again, I know people are going to be saying that's a load of nonsense, but do you, do you think there's a bit of truth in that, Jo? Um, I think, yeah, I think I, see, I, I think I started teaching around the time when, um, Year nine. I don't. I don't remember ever teaching a year nine group who were doing SATs. So I think they ended around the time I joined teaching. Mm. And I think um, I have heard lots of teachers who who did used to teach back then say that it did affect the kind of motivation and um, drive of key stage three because it became kind of the lost years where yeah they didn't have kind of an end goal to focus on. Um, but I think I think it's really interesting because if you take what I'm experiencing now in my current school is if you take away you take away the um the fact that uh, if you take so uh, we don't have a big focus on GCSE because we don't have GCSE classes yes and so our students don't know any different they don't know that year 11 is the big year where they get all the attention they get all the best teachers they get you know everything's <laughs> geared up for year 11 and that's all anyone talks about so what I'm finding now in my school is just this it's almost like this oh this lovely sort of intrinsic motivation they've all got a really lot a lot of um pride in their work which I didn't see at my last school in key stage three the, the, the state of the maths books there was like oh horrific whereas we've now got a load of students who take a lot of pride in their work um really kind of committed to learning and there's a real cultural thing going on and I wonder if we have that lovely culture because we don't have year 11s and yeah so yes. like the, these students know that they are our most important thing you know they are mm. our they are our what we're there for um and I and it's interesting if, if I don't know if that's what's caused it but it's such a contrast for me to go from a school where key stage three, like in most schools, was very much the forgotten years, you know, the ones you timetable yes. class. They have split classes a lot, which I, yep. I don't like split classes. They often get the non-specialist or, the, or supply teacher. Um, you know, if we, we once had um, a teacher leave mid-year, she taught two year 11 classes. So we moved everything around so that it wasn't her year 11 classes that lost out. You know, we basically said, right, it's going to have to be a year seven class that now doesn't have a teacher because there's no way it's going to be a year yep. seven class. Yep. And yep. that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I've gone from that kind of culture where 
um, where Key Stage 3 was just a bit of a mess. Like if you went into, if you if you were to look through the books of, of a Key Stage 3 class, and not, not in every class, but in most of them, they were, they, they weren't, you weren't seeing kind of high quality work going on in the same way you see at my school. But I really, I really wonder if it's just because of the fact we don't had it we don't have those older year groups it's really interesting and it's it's a hard one to fix because you can't go to a school that's got all year groups and say oh well, i think you should timetable key stage three first and then give yeah. your, you know, no, no, no school is going to give their year 11 class the non-specialist or the supply teacher or the split class they're not going to do that so it's, it's i don't i don't really know you know when when ofsted wrote this report um i forgot what they called it something like the wasted years key stage three the wasted years something, and they and they were really critical of schools prioritizing key stage four um i guess the, the thing is it, it just doesn't make sense not to put your yeah exactly on key stage four so i don't think schools are really at fault there um what we just need is is to have high quality teaching throughout and when we have a recruitment crisis that's really hard to achieve in the profession and also with 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 the the, the short-term pressures because if, if you've got a school and you think right I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? If you get key stage three right, key yeah. stage four sorts itself out. I mean, oh, that is absolutely. the most obvious thing ever. Yeah. But as you say, if, you, if you're in a school, you, you you can't you can't just kind of forget about the current years yeah. nine, ten, and eleven. Exactly. You've got to sort them out. So yeah. you, you you can can never break the cycle. Yeah. It's, it's Although, so yeah, there, there are some. So like you know, I, I remember I worked with a key stage three coordinator, and there was a year where she didn't have any key stage three classes on her timetable, and like things like that. Like I think the head of maths yeah. and the key stage three coordinator should always teach. Uh, so like the head of math should always have at least one key stage three class on their timetable, you know, just so they can sort of lead by example there and show mm. all that best practice and that kind of thing. Um, but certainly, you know, when I was head of math there, I didn't have any key stage three on my timetable. Um, and the problem is if they if they'd said, right, you're going to have to because we need to sort of show that we care about key stage three here. So let's put put me on a key stage three class. Then that would have meant that we just didn't have anyone to teach that A-level class. You know, we just didn't yeah, have anyone yes. who had any experience available to do that. So I was literally put where they needed me. Um, and if we, if you don't have enough A-level teachers, then you're just going to have to use the experienced people there. So it is. You're right, and it, it's the same with with higher tier GCSE in some departments, right? Like some yeah. some teachers aren't uh, their subject knowledge isn't quite where it needs to be to do, particularly if we're talking the grades kind of eight and nine and stuff. So you've got a priority, you've got to timetable your A level first, then you've got to timetable your higher tier GCSE. And you just work your way down and then it's whatever's yeah. left. And as you say, then that's when the non-specialists come in. That's when the split classes, I mean, just on split classes, Joe, I, I've heard you say this and I couldn't agree more. I I've, I don't think I've ever seen, I, I would never choose a split class ahead of having the same teacher all the way through. I've never found a way to make it work as effectively. There's ways to make it work better, better than other ways, yeah. but it can never be a good thing, can it, a split class? Well, I mean, the only, I think Mel from Just Maths, Mel and Seager were saying recently that they, they make it work well, but, you know, they're like best friends and they see each other all the yeah, time. That's yeah. that's that's very different to most situations. When I taught split classes because I was part-time, I did it on a job share. So it wasn't just, it, I, li- I literally never saw the teacher I shared with because they were in on different days to me. Yes. Um, and this was a teacher who never responded to my emails, you know, so was, <laughs> the communication was impossible. And um, so, so you know, yes, if you if you share a class with someone who you share an office with, then it's probably a better situation than if you share a class with someone who you never see. And mm. if you if you share an office, with, so if you're in a, a maths office with someone who you share a class with, then you have opportunities to chat 
um, about who's doing what. Because I think what Mel was saying was that she thinks the best thing to do is not to split the topics. So whereas in most split classes, if you're not seeing that teacher, you absolutely have to say, right, I'll teach percentages, you teach index laws, we'll split it. Um, but if you if you have a very close relationship with the person who you're sharing with, in other words, you sort of sit next to them in the maths office or something and you speak to them all the time, then it could be that, that you you teach the same topic. So you say, right, well, we're doing index laws. Uh, at the end of my lesson, I'm going to tell you where I got to and, and how well they did on that. And then you teach the next lesson following on from that. Now that takes um, that takes a lot of coordination and planning. Yeah, it does. Wow. Um, so I, I'm not I, yeah, I'm just I'm not convinced that that's feasible in most cases. And the thing was, yeah. the thing is, people say, oh, the splitting topics is a terrible idea because these poor students are being overwhelmed. But I don't agree with that. I mean, we, you know, at A level, you're, you normally have two teachers who mm. teach two different things, and the students can cope with learning two different maths concepts at the same time. And also, bear in mind, they're learning all these different subjects. So, you know, the, the fact that students are coping with learning like, you know, 10, 12 different subjects at the same time, I do think that they are poss- they are capable of learning percentages and index laws from two different maths teachers in the same week. I don't think, I don't think that's. I don't think that's the end of the world if they're doing two different topics. So I think I would still split the topics. But um, I just don't think the experience is as good because particularly if no one feels ownership for that class. Because, you know, mm. say they have four lessons a week and you do a three-one split, then the person with three lessons, they, they own that class. So, Absolutely. That means, so that, that's a better situation. But the person who has them once a week will probably not even know their names, you know, like, well, maybe <laughs> they will. I've been there. Yep, you yep. Know, yeah, you know when it's like you see them once a week, so it's like, meh, it's like, you know that class I don't you know whatever I'll just go yep. and teach and it's, it's like I'm covering basically um, <laughs> yeah. basically that that um that class basically ends up with three lessons a week um really yes. um plus that extra bit um now I, I mean maybe I'm being unfair then no no sure I there think, are some, I think teachers right. who, some teachers probably do this brilliantly when they see a class one lesson a week um but then if you split it two two so that so that they get two lessons a week with the two different teachers then not, neither teacher perhaps feels that ownership of that class. Yep. Um, and then that, that, that I just, I just not sure about that. I think, you know, a student sort of is entitled to a math teacher um, who kind of knows them and, and um, is sort of accountable for them. So yeah, I'm not sure, but it's certainly something that happens a lot at Key Stage 3. Um, and, you know, I, I, I did the timetable this year for the maths department and um, I basically, we have one member of staff who's part-time, she's off on Fridays. So we basically don't teach much maths on Fridays because I wanted to avoid split classes. Yeah, so, you know, if your nice. school timetabler is really on it, um, then you, 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 it's possible to minimise split classes. Um, it's when teachers, if so, well, that's if a teacher teaches four days a week. If you have a member of staff who teaches three days a week, all of their classes will be split, you yes. know, if they if, if you have four maths lessons a week, which most schools do now. So, yeah, it is um, it is a tricky one. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, Joe. We're going to um, I'm going to going to shift things around a little bit. We're going, we're going to get on to why you enjoy and your kind of new revelation with teaching key stage yeah. and why you enjoy it so much. Just a little bit later when we start talking about resources and some of the topics and activities. I just want to keep just on this theme of. Um, ways that schools perhaps go wrong a little bit with regard to key stage three. Now you've hit on a couple of big ones already. It's, it's the fact that perhaps it's the lowest priority from key stage. Uh, it goes key stage five, then key stage, well, key stage four and key stage five, top priority, and then key stage three. We have the split classes. We have non-specialists. Is there anything else that you've seen from, from uh, that schools do that perhaps, yeah, they're making a mistake when it comes to key stage three, an understandable mistake, but, but nevertheless still a mistake. Um, 
I think uh, I think key stage three coordinators need to have more time because <laughs> there's so much they can do. Um, and I think typically someone who gets the key stage three coordinator position is given um, maybe an hour a week or not even that. But um, in my presentation at Mass Conference, I listed all the things a key stage coordinator can do in their job um, and it's huge and you sort of think there's no there's no way that they've got time to do all those things um so I, you know i said you know they, they need to think about the curriculum have, have you got the best schemes of work in place have you got the best ordering of topics um they need to be thinking about assessment you know there's there's um there, there are all sorts of things you can do on assessment and and it's a really important part of, of uh, the, one of the things that a maths department needs to do really well is think about those formal assessments and what they look like and then what you do with the results of those and then of course how you run interventions or clinics or homework clubs and all these things that you can you can do to support these students um, and I just don't think that people have time to do these things no. um, and there's all the extra lovely things you can do like the competitions and the enrichment opportunities and all that but actually just in terms of of supporting the students um it all takes time and i just i feel like um i feel like that's what's really lacking is, is that it's not given priority in terms of um those pe- those tlr holders just aren't given the time to do the things that need doing you know even at my school where we're just do key stage three um we haven't got a we haven't got a homework club running this week where students can come uh, sorry this year where students can come along and ask for help with their homework um we don't really believe in interventions at Key Stage 3. You know, we, we think that, um, you know, well, it's all about that like, quality first teaching, isn't it? Um, but that's not to say we don't have students who need um, support, like right from the beginning. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're introducing times tables interventions after half term where we're just going to help the students who really don't know their times tables to catch up on those because we know it will give them some confidence. But, you know, all of this takes time. So I think that's, it's the, I mean, it's the problem of anything, but in, 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 a, in a secondary school. But I guess that time is normally prioritised with the exam classes, isn't it? Well, let's, um, I'll put you, put you on the spot here, Joe. I always like to do this when, 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 when we talk. So as a, as a senior leader yourself, who's, who's very aware of the, the pressures and the timetable issues and so on, what do you think is a reasonable amount of extra time to give a TLR holder who's Key Stage 3 coordinator to do the job to a decent level that they're actually going to affect the, the learning of kids across t- Key Stage 3? For all the things that you talk about that they could do, what are we talking is? Is one extra lesson a week going to be enough or not, what are we, mm, what's realistic? Probably not. I mean, I don't know what schools don't tend to do here. I know that um, uh, when I when I was a Key Stage 5 coordinator, I got three a fortnight. Um but I know most schools, you either get one a week or you don't get anything at all. Yeah, I, th- I think the latter's more common, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that, um, I mean, that, that it's just silly, isn't it? So you sort of get that extra pay and then mm. you have to fit all that stuff into your spare time, of which you don't have any because you're a teacher. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose in an ideal world, if, if we didn't have budget issues and we had an abundance of maths teachers because we didn't have all these gaps, <laughs> then it would probably be a couple of hours a week, wouldn't it? So, mm. you know, because just to... But there are there are times of year where there's lots going on, like you know you're getting your assessments sorted and all that sort of thing. Um, but even the um, yeah, even the kind of if if you're asking a key stage three coordinator to spend time after school running clinics or, or interventions, then you know they 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 should get that time back somewhere because otherwise, how are they going to have time to plan good quality lessons for their own students? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really. Um, 
it's it's it, I don't know there there are no solutions to this this is a problem I'm kind of feel like I'm bringing problems but I'm not bringing solutions oh no I think I think you are because well you've teed us up perfectly because you you certainly are bringing solutions um, certainly at, at a wider level to key stage three because you shared in in your talk one of my favorite ever slides I've seen um, entitled simple strategies for key stage three and I thought that's what we could turn our attention to now Joe I'm gonna I'm gonna go through each of these points I'm just gonna read them out and you're just gonna dig into them a little bit deeper. And tell me about perhaps what you do at your school and what what you've heard from other other colleagues doing and and how these can really impact positively on on key stage three. So your first one that you have is consistency in key stage three teaching, routines, expectations and behaviour. Why is that so important, Joe? And and where does that go wrong? Um, I think this is, I mean, this is, I mean, when I say routines, I mean things like, you know, in my school, we all use a warm-up booklet at the start. So the students know they're getting the same, um, the same experience from every teacher. Um, we there, there's this but then there's you know the thing about the kind of expectations and behavior is it's just about you know you, in a typical school you'll get some some key stage three classes where you know you know the behavior is not great or you know that um they're kind of the maybe the the students aren't doing lots of practice you know they may be doing a couple of questions in the lesson and they're they're not you know they haven't got their kind of high standards um and I guess it's just about um, supporting that and actually making the time so say the head of department or the key stage three coordinator making the time to to really make sure that that is that everyone knows um, all the teachers have the support they need so that it's consistent across the department so across the department every classroom has got that high quality teaching going on and that thing is again this needs time because it only happens by so for example if, if it's not happening in 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 some teachers lessons and it's about giving that teacher the opportunity to go and see it happening in the room next door mm. but that's really hard to manage you know because then I say you know I'm in charge of cover I don't like taking people out of their lessons but you know it, there is a massive advantage to say going to uh, say me covering a teacher for 20 minutes while they go next door and watch you know the the uh, someone the, the set above them or the, or the equivalent set in the same year group with a teacher who's, say, really experienced and who has really good um, expectations and routines in that lesson. Do you know what? Just on that, Joe, it's fascinating you say that. So last academic year, I was doing some work in a school over, over a long period of time. And the idea was that I was supposed to come in with some big ideas and so on and so forth, model a few lessons and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But but one of the first things I said to the the head of maths and the second in maths is how often do your colleagues get to see other people? Because I, I spent the first day kind of watching lessons and I saw some amazing stuff. I'm making notes left, right and center. Yeah. Thinking, God, yeah. I wish I could teach like this. I wish I would do that. Yeah. So I was I was saying and the, the idea was that, that staff were off timetable to listen to me. And I was like, no, you've, you've got this all the wrong way around. Why don't you you go and watch that teacher? You go and watch yeah, that. Yeah. That's where that's where often your expertise is within that department because it's they they know the uh, the challenges of the school, the yeah. challenges of the kids, the circumstances, and so on. But it's in my experience, I'm, I'm very lucky these days. I get to visit lots of schools. Very, very, very rarely do I come across some kind of program or system in place where staff can easily get access to watch other colleagues. And as you say, it doesn't need to be a full lesson. It can yeah. just be 10 minutes. A senior leader perhaps stepping in for 10 minutes yeah. to cover a lesson so a teacher can come out and watch. There's very little cost involved there. It's great for the senior leader to get amongst the kids. It's great for the kids to see the senior leader in lessons. And it's fantastic for both the person watching and the person being watched because that what a great confidence booster that is to say somebody's coming into your lesson to watch you yeah. you know 
because you've been highlighted as good practice. It's just win, win, win. But it's 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 amazing. I very, very, very rarely yeah. see it. The thing is, so this year we've had a bit of an improvement in that my school is designed. We we win architecture awards at my school. <laughs> it is a nice school. I've been uh, looking to see. It. Oh yeah, you haven't, haven't you? Yeah. And the the door the door we're meant to keep the doors closed because it helps with the air circulation in the building or something because we're all eco friendly and everything. But this year we've said we're going to keep the doors open for two reasons. One for sort of COVID ventilation, where yeah. you know it's 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 good practice to have the air flowing so we've got the doors open but also we said that we want to become an open door school now at my previous school we were so open door no one ever closed their classroom door and that meant that you could um if as a head of maths I always knew what was happening in every classroom on the corridor because all the doors were open I could just walk up and down and I could hover and we could hover in a way where it was absolutely fine for me to just go and stand at a door or even go in the classroom for just sort of five minutes and that that would and have a look at what the students are doing and it was it was a it was a lovely culture where that was um like totally non-judgmental and it was just accepted and everyone did it all the time um Whereas when I started at the school I'm at now, because the doors were closed, I felt like I just couldn't do that. I couldn't just sort of pop into people's lessons. But this year, it's much better. The only problem is this year, we're not really allowed to pop into people's lessons because of COVID. Yeah. You know, we have to kind of yeah. wear a visor if we go in, if we want to do an occupation. Yes. Um, but what we're doing this year is we're really encouraging these kind of hovering by the door. Um, and it's and we've really seen since we've done that, we've really seen an improvement in the amount of uh, teachers who are hovering by the doors of other lessons. So, you know, well, I, I've got an NQT in my department and I often see him just sort of standing in the doorway of a lesson, just sort of taking some notes. And that's wonderful because, you know, my, my head of maths is she is I reckon she's the best maths teacher I've ever seen teach. Like she is <laughs> absolutely outstanding. And um, I'm the only person in the department that's ever seen her teach because I'm her yeah. line manager and I've seen her now three times. And every time she She's been um, absolutely brilliant. I've gone away saying, oh, I wish everyone could see this. And mm. it's and it's silly because it's like, why doesn't everyone see this? Yes. They would all, yeah. and, and actually, I'm wondering if you're right, what I should be doing is I should be covering the other staff for just 10 minutes and they can pop yeah. in and see her. And I can say, I say to her in advance, what would be the good 10 minutes? So if I, if I want to see them... Um, if I want if I want them to see her using mini whiteboards brilliantly, I can ask her in advance what sort of time of the lesson approximately do you think we should pop in um, mm. and I can cover their lesson. And the other thing I was thinking was, um, you know, there are there are um, software programs where you can film lessons, aren't there? You yes. know, I can't remember what it's called, um, but there uh, is Iris and all that. kind yeah, of Yeah, Iris, yeah. that's it. And, and I was thinking that if I if we can't practically have everyone go and pop in and see her teach, then we probably should be getting some kind of software or maybe even there probably is a way now of filming it using a visualizer. Now we've got all this tech mm. that we're better at and um, filming her, these bits of her lessons that are brilliant and then just showing it in a department meeting and saying, let's all look at how she does it. And it doesn't have to just be the head of department. Of course, I can do this with anyone in department who does something particularly well. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's the key to it, Joe. Where I've, it's, it's fascinating this. I've seen, um, as I say, I'm very lucky to get to visit lots of schools these days. I've seen this work, the videoing, I've seen it work really well and I've seen it being an absolute car crash. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so when it's a car crash is when it's made up to be a massive thing. So it's it's, uh, right, we're, we're going to do it. This, this is we're going to see something amazing here. So we're going to come in and we're going to film your lesson and so on. And the teachers like panicking, yeah. And then the kids aren't acting normal, and the teacher, the teacher tries and teaches it, and it doesn't come across well. So then, then they almost kind of want editing rights over the video and all, yeah. all this kind of thing. Whereas where it works really well is where before you even show any video to anybody, you've captured kind of five or six different teachers in action. So already it's becoming a bit of a normal thing. Yeah. And then it's really good as well. And this this is just common sense, this. But what, the school I saw where this worked really well, and I thought this was such a brilliant idea, was the head of department 
he was the first one to be filmed and his lesson was a bit crap but that was brilliant because he showed that as right what could i do better yeah, and then once right. that once that once that was out mm. there then it's right we're not just seeing examples of excellence here we're seeing example this is a discussion point yeah. this is right here's an example let's talk about it and that's when it gets that's when i think it can be really really interesting and final thing i'll just say on this joe the um the Oak National Academy, yeah. which again, teachers will be very aware of, free resources set up to, to help schools cope if, if kids are off school with COVID and so on and so forth. They've obviously got all their lessons, which are freely available online now. And um, when I was talking to Matt Hood, the, the kind of guy who, who was uh, involved in setting that up, he said one of the ways that he wants those resources to be used is by teachers in um, departmental meetings to say, right, here is a lesson of a, t- a maths teacher teaching percentage increase. Let's watch a bit of it. And then as a department, let's comment on it. What do we like? What will we do different? And so on. So that might be a way to start bringing this kind of way of thinking into your department which then leads into right well now let's watch some of us in action filming and so on so yeah. i think there are ways to do this that's interesting because obviously if you watch the oak stuff presumably that's really helpful for explanations but not helpful mm. for the classroom technique that's exactly yeah. right okay. exactly right yeah. yes yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think across the board, I mean, and the root and the consistency is interesting because I had some kids come up to me in the playground and they said, Miss, you know how you give us two Hegarty tasks a week? Well, you know the other teachers give their classes three or four a week. And I was like, Oh, really? So you want to give me to give you more things that then I was like, Well, I didn't even realise. I just assumed we were all doing the same thing. And it's just yes. little things like that where consistency across because the students talk to each other. And you know, it's nice to have that absolute consistency across the department where a student knows that they're not ever getting a bad deal because they're getting the same deal whatever class they're in and then you've just got that real confidence across the year groups that they know that they're all having a good deal in maths and you know so that consistency is actually a really helpful thing in terms of your kind of um packaging of the maths department it's good if all the teachers know what everyone else is doing um and you know i we um we do assessments on at end of units and they're called frame tasks in my school they're the only thing we're expected to mark um, and again, I was doing a book look for my year uh, for my head of maths, and I saw her feedback sheet that she uses when she gives the frame task back. So she marks the assessment. In fact, I think the students mark their assessment for her. Mm. I always do the marking, but she gets them to self mark. And then she has this sort of tick sheet she fills in, and then she has little uh, tasks for them to do. And I loved the way she'd done it. And I said, I can't believe that I've worked with her now for over a year. And I didn't know that that's how she did it. And then straight away, I changed the way I did it for the next time. And again, it's just those little things where it's amazing how we're in the same building and we teach in the same corridor, but yet we don't know what's going on in the room next door to us sometimes. So it's it's important stuff. Absolutely. Now, the, the next one on your list, Joe, you, you've talked a little bit about this already, but I think it's just worth highlighting again. You've put quality teaching, head of department and key stage three coordinator leads by example. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've certainly been involved in a couple of schools where, as you say, the head of department hasn't taught key stage three. And that's for, been for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because they have been considered one of the better teachers or one of the only ones who can teach certain A-level courses and yeah. there simply hasn't been time on their timetable. But also, again, it's, I've known it be for other reasons that, as we're talking about here, Key Stage 3 isn't valued as highly enough by them. And they think they're better placed teaching, you know, two, they'd rather take two year 11 classes than a year seven and a year 11 class. Yeah. And as soon as we get into that culture, we're in trouble, aren't we? Ever trying to say that Key Stage 3 is just as important. Yeah, but also the the what they're doing in that department is they're not developing their team. So, you know, there's, there's this, you have to, you have to, 
take gambles sometimes with a new teacher where you say, you know what, I know they've never taught A-level before, um, but I'm going to give them, say, um, three lessons a week A-level next year um, because otherwise I'll never have anyone that can teach A-level. You know, you have to take yeah. these risks with people, don't you? You have to say, you know, I've, again, I've got a teacher who who hasn't taught um, a year 11 class before, but and this year they're going to teach year 11 class before and we're going to make sure they're well supported and we're going to make sure they get the CPD they need on that. And we can't just say, no, I'm actually, I'm just going to timetable them for key stage three all the time because then you're never going to build a team that, that cannot, that, you know, that's, that's really strong in all areas. So yeah, it's um, it's really timetabling is is a is a real tricky uh, tricky business, but you know you have to think long term with these things. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, your next one is something very close to our heart, and that's CPD. Um, you've put departmental focus, e.g., topics in depth. Now this is a big one, right? Um, getting getting CPD right, and by CPD we're not talking here again bringing in someone external or you know once a term or anything. We're talking. These departmental meetings, whether they're weekly or fortnightly or any time that uh, colleagues get together, it's making the most of that time. So where have you seen that work particularly well when it comes to Key Stage 3, Jo? Um, so at my current school, not well, because we are, we have one department meeting a half term. Which oh, is, wow. Yeah, which is terrible. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the reason for that is it kind of makes sense when you think about it. In the first year the school was set up, there weren't departments. There was one teacher yeah. per department. So there, there's no need to have department meetings because the person would meet with themselves. So they had CPD <laughs> every week, whole school CPD every Monday after school. Um, and that was kind of it. And then the second year, the only departments that really existed then were maths and English. And then, say, subjects like, say, history had, to, say, two or three teachers. There was, like, two or three teachers in each department, whereas maths and English, we had four teachers. So we had we still, we're still tiny departments, but we were the biggest departments in the school. But, again, they continued with this kind of whole school CPD on a weekly basis. And we weren't really given department time. So I spent a lot of last year sort of pushing for that to change because I said, well, you know, I, I manage the science and maths department and they could do with more time to try to sort of uh, to do some work together, some CPD and all that sort of thing. And then again, I'm, I feel like I'm still saying that this year and, and I'm starting to make a bit of progress. Well, I'm starting to get the principal to listen on this, but we're still we're still on <laughs> one and a half term. Um, and and what I've managed to do is I've managed to say, right, when we have that one department meeting half term, I've said we are not to put a single thing on that agenda. That has to be CPD time. And we're not to give a load of admin for that meeting because I've had that before. In my previous school, we did have um, fortnightly department meetings after school, but they were um, we were given so much on the agenda from SLT. And it was always yes. admin stuff, you know, yep. um, checking these students are doing this or, do, or you know, all, all this all this nonsense that, that would fill up the hour. And then you might get sort of uh, oh, 10 minutes to do some CPD at the end. So what it really needs to be for this to work really well, it needs to be a regular thing where the department say fortnightly, where the department sit down together and they say, what is what's coming up in key stage three? Or it could be GCSE, but let's say let's focus on key stage three. So what's coming up in key stage three next that, that most of the department will be teaching? And even if there's a teacher who doesn't teach that particular year group, they will still benefit. It's like, oh, we're all, we're all teaching, say, Pythagoras' theorem um, next week. So let's let's do a, a, an hour now or 45 minutes now where we talk about Pythagoras' theorem and we share the good resources and we talk about how we're going to explain it and we talk about how we're going to sequence our lessons 
and what examples we're going to use and what the misconceptions are going to be. And then everyone then the next week goes off and teaches those lessons so much better than they would have because they've just yes. had that time to think about them. And when I have planned the topics in depth sessions in the, in the past, the ones that I've presented at conferences, when I now teach those topics, my teaching is so much higher quality than it used to be. And it's just because I've really spent the time thinking about that topic. So it, I really think it makes a huge difference to the quality of teaching if people take this time to just go in depth on, on a particular topic. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. And again, there's there's ways I've seen this done well and the ways I've seen this done not so well. And that's one of the first things I ask when I'm working with a department is what do your departmental meetings look like? Where's your, Where does the teaching and learning bit fit into it? And often it's not at all. Uh, because they just simply don't have time yeah. with all the all the admin stuff or and this is the other interesting thing if you look at an agenda it's at the end like let's yeah. sort out all the other all the other stuff first all the targets all the new things that we have to do blah 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 and then the final you know 15 minutes is is you teaching and learning yeah. by which point teachers are knackered thinking about what they need to do tomorrow and so yeah. on and it, it just doesn't take that that amount of importance it, and then the other thing that's interesting is where i see this perhaps go wrong a little bit in departmental meetings is that pete let's say you do pythagoras let's say right we've got pythagoras that's gonna be our focus and it's the message that goes around the department is right i want everybody to bring something mm. to share on pythagoras and what happens then is people just share resources which is mm. fine like oh this is a good worksheet or this is a good activity from don stewart and so on but it's for me it's having time to work through those is important yeah. so let's let's spend some time as mathematicians working through them but also let's not just look at resources let's look at how we're going to explain it what's our what's our worked yeah. example going to look like what misconceptions do people have and I, this sounds like a, a terrible advert but all the things that we talk about in marvelous maths too and all the things that we've spoke about in your topics in depth session that's not just resources it's yeah. above and beyond that it's thinking about sequencing explanations it's it that's what's going to help teachers get better and learners get better if that makes yeah. sense and i think one of the challenges for this is is um is kind of just planning the session so at my last mm. school when we did it i think we did it fortnightly and it got to the point where i did a couple of my topics in depth sessions which took say 45 minutes of the hour meeting um, and that worked really well. And then we had a lead practitioner on the team, my colleague Andy, and then he delivered one. So he he chose the topic. I think he picked mm. dividing fractions. And he did a similar thing where he talked through what they've done at primary school on this, mm. um, what the misconceptions are going to look like, what different approaches and methods we could use to explain how to do it, and then a few resources. And he put that together and led it. But the thing is, obviously, his time is short and he can't do this all the time and the head department can't do it all the time. But it doesn't have to be led by someone. You know, it can be... Well, it, as in it doesn't have to be planned by someone. It can be that mm. the department just says, right, let's start by talking about misconceptions. Why don't yes. we all like write on the board the common things that, that we think are going to come up here? So it doesn't have to necessarily take a lot of time to plan, but it just just thinking about that structure, you know, where did it come up in primary school? Um, where, where are the misconceptions going to be? What are the different methods and explanations? And then and then a quick look at resources. So that's kind of the only planning that's needed, really. It doesn't need a PowerPoint or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. Right, Joe. next on your list, a carefully planned curriculum and assessment. What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, 
it's just really interesting because I'm thinking about what works well at Key Stage 3 and I know that a lot of schools have started to use white rose and I, I know that because on Twitter there's lots of lots of people sharing using hashtags and, and sort of special Twitter accounts the fact that they are they are following the white rose scheme of work at Key Stage 3 um, and I think the white rose scheme of work is really interesting because it's it's very different to any scheme of work I follow yeah. at Key Stage 3 and the resources that go with it are brilliant they're really really good quality um, but I think that's I think that's that's a big decision for a school to make is you know what what scheme of work are we going to follow what order are we going to do um and then and then how are we gonna how are we gonna assess whether that's working and how are we gonna assess the students my school um for the second year in a row we've started year seven with algebra and i know i i i still am undecided about it mm. um but this year it's my second time round it's gone better so you know we did it for the first time last year and i'd not done that before um this year i think i've um you know, this this year, I, I from the beginning, they started their their first Hegarty homeworks. I set them were on negative numbers because this is one of the big problems. You can't really teach algebra to students who aren't strong on negative numbers because negatives come up too much right from yes. the start when you're collecting like terms. As soon as yes. they're doing seven x uh, minus nine x, you're into negative numbers. So you're already getting into a mess if they don't know negatives. So what I did this year was I. I front loaded the Hegarty homeworks on negatives. So they were doing that at the same, and then coming into school and we were doing algebra. And I was like, well, you've just done this in your homework. Um, and that kind of helped. And then, and then, you know, I did then, I did some specific lessons on negatives, but then I could straight away bring in negatives by substitution because I'd already taught yeah. algebra. So we're kind of rolling together the negatives and the algebra rather than because um, that gives us the opportunity to start the school year or to start their secondary school um, maths with something totally new. So, you know, it, I do think it's got its pros and cons, but it's certainly engaging for the students to come into secondary school and go straight into something they've they've not done before. Um, and, it, and it feels a bit better than when I used to start secondary school teaching in year seven with, you know, just all key stage two recap, which is just, you know, I know you can, I know you can make that engaging, but still I just, I feel I quite like starting with something that's totally new to them. Yeah, I, I agree on that, Joe. I, when I first saw the ordering, because it's interesting, White Rose, they changed their scheme, didn't they? Like a couple of years ago or whatever. And it didn't used to start with um, with, with sequences and algebra. Yeah, like, no, we don't bit. follow, I should mention, we don't follow White Rose. We we do start no. with algebra, but we, we don't follow their particular scheme, which is actually quite different to ours. But yeah, they did change it. I think they must have reflected on it and had a go at it and they taught it. And then they, yeah, they've, they've tweaked theirs. And I think, yeah, and the, the point I want to make here is, again, just, just leaning on my experience over the last few years, it's amazing how, and Mark McCourt talks about this, and how every single year schools seem to be rewrite departments are rewriting their key stage three yeah. schemes of work, key stage four schemes of work, and so on. And I was working with this one school who'd had um, quite poor GCSE results, and they were really worried about, well, all their, all their um, curriculum, but particularly key stage three. So the head of department and the secondary department were absolutely knackered by this point, yeah. absolutely knackered. We're going to spend the whole of summer rewriting their key stage three scheme of work, coming up with a assessments, homeworks, mm -hmm. lesson resources, and so on. And I said to them, look, White Rose yeah, okay. may have its faults and stuff. You may not agree with all of it, but just start with that. Let's start yeah. with that and see how it goes because it's there. It's ready yeah. for you. The sequence is there. It's been thought out. It's been tested. And here's the other big thing. 
there's a community, a large community of teachers out there who are also following that same scheme of work. Yeah. And I think um, Hannah Radders on Twitter has, um, has, has uh, set up a group for yes. kind of discussions about White Rose. So you, it's always best to be kind of all in it together. So yeah. if you're concerned about your Key Stage 3 scheme of work, I think you can go a lot worse. And it doesn't have to be White Rose. Yeah, there's others. Yeah. Yeah. You can go a lot worse than adopting something somebody's already written, Absolutely. tried out, and so on, as opposed yeah. to trying to come up with one yourself. Yeah, because I know that... Um... Was it Miss Jagger's maths on Twitter? She's done a five-year one, and there's other people oh, who have yes, done this. Yes. But you know, these these the work's already been done. I don't think any school should ever be making their own schemes of work because no. um, it's all been done, and there's just no need for it. But what's interesting? See, we use the we mainly use the Harris Federation one, which I, I, there's there's definitely some things that could be better in that um, because like so last year we were doing in lockdown we had to do congruence and similarity with year. Um, Eight in lockdown so I set them the Hegarty Maths videos on it and in the first Hegarty Maths video Colin Hegarty says he talks about let's do a quick recap of enlargements because it makes total sense to start mm. that similarity by following yes. on from enlargements because it's you know that that absolutely conceptually makes sense yes. but our lot hadn't done in transformation <laughs> yeah. I thought the videos didn't make any sense to them that we were trying to set them in lockdown because it started by recapping something they'd never seen before yes um, but also like I'm looking at our schemes of work it's like well where are enlargements because it looks to me like they're either in year 10 I haven't even checked I think they're either in year 10 or they're at the end of year nine whereas mm. I think the transformations is a is a really nice key stage three topic that yeah, can probably yeah. come in in year eight quite nicely um and would make a lot of sense definitely to come before congruence and similarity so well, we know from we know from topics in depth kids have seen transformations in you know year five and year six they've started reflecting rotating and so on absolutely That's- but they but that sort of idea of you know we're talking about when we're talking about similarity we're talking about scale factor it would just flow really nicely mm. on from transformations absolutely and, and it's and it's frustrating then that when that we're using a scheme of work that where that hasn't been thought about and there's other things along the way where you sort of you know when when we talk about scheme of work ordering there are obviously really sensible ways to order topics where you can do some really good um mm. where you can pull topics together really well so for example if you do equations and then you do angles then when you teach angles you can bring the equations back in and it works really nicely so there's all that sort of thinking about sensible orders but yeah you really notice when you teach something and you haven't done something that they really should have done first it just feels like you're just a bit embarrassing you're sort of saying to the students you're, you're sort of trying to teach something thinking that I really should have done transformations before I did this and it's not really making any sense um and, and, and it's frustrating then if you're following a scheme of work where, like I am, where it's a, it's a math scheme of work where your assessments are tied to it. So I can't then stop and say, actually, I'm going to spend a week teaching transformations and then we're going to do similarity mm. because then they won't have covered the content required by the time they do the math assessment. <laughs> so it is, it is really frustrating for schools that are kind of tied to these things. Um, but, you know, as much as possible where... Um, where heads of maths or key stage three coordinators do have some control, um, yeah, getting it right is 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 really important. But like you say, there are other people that have got this right that you can just get off the shelf, um, and they're really good quality schemes of work. Yeah, I I'm, I think the white rose one is really interesting and really mm. carefully thought through. So I do think Me teachers too. should have a look at that one or heads of Me department too. should. Yeah. 
Okay, well, next on your list, and I should say for listeners, I'll, I'll put the, the photo I took of, of this slide, I'll, I'll put in the show notes. And I know you shared your presentation, haven't you? So I'll put a link yeah, to that as well. Like that, so yeah. people are thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of these. Don't panic, panic not, because you can get this list. So next one on your list, Joe, is early well-staffed and well-planned intervention and support. Well, what's going on there with that one? Um, I guess I'm just thinking that if you, particularly when your year sevens come in, well, there's no point There's no point in not dealing with the timetable stuff early, because... I mean, I talk about timetables just because we know that a student who doesn't know their timetables lacks confidence in the maths classroom, you know, because mm. as soon as you start doing anything, you certainly do some division or you do some fractions or even higher up the school, you're doing some, some factorizing quadratics, anything like that. If they don't know their timetables, then straight away they're lacking confidence. Um, yes. and, and, and that's, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it takes them a bit longer to do it. But the point is that they will they will straight away feel like, oh, I can't, they're going to panic and they think they can't do it. So getting that fluency in timetables sorted early on, it's just, just, just does wonders for your confidence of your students and just makes them enjoy maths more. And it's, it's a real, real, uh, a real easy win to just get them to know their timetables. And obviously, um, the, this is, this is, they are, they are mostly coming through a great timetables from primary these days, but we know that there are still some students who don't know them. Um, so that's just where I would, I would just get them straight away in year seven out for, you know, even a couple of lunch times a week or a couple of after schools or a couple of before schools and just and just get that sorted and you know the, the earlier you do it the more confident those students will be in and the more they'll enjoy their maths lessons um, and like you say it doesn't doesn't need to be boring does it are you are you a kind of times table rock star or numerous um, ninjas yeah we, so we have decided we're starting this after half term for our year sevens we've picked we've just picked 15 year sevens it's not a huge group and we're going to take we have very long lunches now we have an hour lunch which was longer than we had last year and the wow. students the students are getting a bit bored at lunch to be honest so it's so they're going to be quite happy to come in and do this we're going to take them out for 20 minutes two days a week and they're going to they're going to sit with us and do some time table rock stars which we're going to you know we're not just going to sort of let them just play with it we're going to sort of carefully choose which time tables they do and sort of set up a program for them on it um there's actually um have you seen this this new times tables app which looks really promising have you seen this it's called well, which one it's called stick and something oh gosh i should know this no, I stick no. i think it's called spit and stick um spit and stick split and stick oh split, split. And stick. yeah split i'm, I'm and gonna stick. check that now because i don't i don't want to get that wrong um somebody um mentioned it to me the other day for my own yeah it's called stick and split and on twitter it's at stick and split stick and split stick and split it's because you stick things together and you split things apart um and it's and someone mentioned this to me the other day and it's an app and they suggested it for my own children and i've downloaded it literally this morning and my student my children have started having to play with it and it's great it's really really good for times tables but not just um fluency practice it's kind of got the that real kind of deep understanding um so my i'm gonna i think that's something that schools need to look into because i think when i downloaded it i saw that there's a school's version now we can't do that at my school because it's really something you do on a ipad and we don't have Mm. ipads um but i think if a school has ipads then for times tables it might be that this is a real winner this is a new app um and it it really does look i mean yeah having having had a play with my children this morning it already looks absolutely brilliant so and it it doesn't require much planning you know and it doesn't require much staffing for this kind of thing um but you should have a really um sort of strong impact on the students that are in that group you know i i certainly have some at the moment so when i was doing division with my year sevens last week and i could see a few of them we were just doing you know short division it was it was just a we did a recap lesson on it i know they've done it before i gave them the lovely don stewart task which is really stretching but even just when they were doing a bit of uh, basic division i could see some of them really struggling kind of you know looking looking like they were they were struggling to work out the remainders and stuff 
And I said to them, look, you, in your planner, you've got a timetable grid. So get that open on your desk um, and that can help you with this. So I don't want it to slow them down. And, and I don't want it to I don't want it to make them feel like, oh, I can't do division if they don't know their timetables. But, you know, that if they don't know them, then I do need to take them out and get them to know them because I can't, you know, we they won't have that. They won't have that grid available, um, you know, in, in exams and stuff like that. Not that exams are the, are the most important thing here, but we just know it gives them that confidence. So when I talk about early well-staffed and well-planned intervention support I mean you know get in there early with the times tables then um, make sure you've you've got someone you know if, if they're just sitting there with times table rock stars I suppose you, you could kind of have anyone sitting there but have someone decide the sort of sequence of what they're going to do and the program they're going to follow um, plan those interventions so if once you've got past the times tables thing then there might be other students who need extra support and you need to really think about think really well about it you know this is stuff that needs our time you know, I mentioned that the key stage three coordinator doesn't have any time, but, you know, this is a good use of their time is to think about how we're going to support the students who have come to secondary school, not secondary ready, basically. So there's lots you can do here. Got it. Fantastic. Right. Final four, Joe. Yeah. Um, next one's an interesting one. Opportunities for all, enrichments and competitions. You, you mentioned quite a few competitions that are bombing around. And again, yeah. we can link to your presentation here, but just give us a bit of a flavour. Oh, there's so much you can do. Like there, there's, there's, there are, I, in my presentation, I listed so many because I just want mm. people to know that, you know, if you, if you want to, your students to be able to have a go at something, then you've got a whole load you can choose from that are free and then they're easy to run and easy to access. And we've probably all worked with uh, students where we get, parents get in touch and say, what are you doing to stretch my child? My child loves maths and they're really good. So what are you doing to stretch them? And and there's, there are really easy answers to that, apart from obviously we're stretching them in lessons, which should be built into our teaching. But there are really nice, easy answers to that. And I mentioned, for example, Simon Singh's parallel um, where you, and I showed in my presentation how it takes about five seconds to set it up. You literally yes. sign up to it. You give the students an access code, and then every week they get an email with some um, some stuff they can learn, some enrichment stuff, and some tasks they can do, and you can track it. And then there's other things like puzzle of the week and stuff like that. And then of course we've got the UKMT. The thing is, I say of course because I've only ever worked in schools that have run the UKMT math challenges. But you know, I'm always quite surprised to hear a lot of schools have never even heard of them. Yeah. And isn't that you know you sort of think UKMT math challenges to me are just a huge part of, of mass education in this country but yeah there are certainly schools that where you, we tell them about it and they've they've just it's never crossed they've never crossed paths with these things um but yeah if you you know to to you know, i just think that in every school the strongest mathematicians should have opportunities to enter national competitions absolutely and just on that with the ukmt thing I, like the, those questions are some of the best questions i've ever seen in my life and one thing i i've really tried to do is make sure that that they find their way into normal kind of lessons it's not just right we're just using these questions for extension or we're not just using these questions to prepare for the competition and i think uh, jamie frost does this really well within his his lessons the fact that those questions from the UKMT and even from the kind of follow on the Olympiad rounds and stuff are built in within a PowerPoint alongside, you know, fairly routine fluency style questions. So the wonderful questions and you start using those regularly, it's kids start to get a bit interested in them. And then when the competition comes around, it's got a bit of, bit of kudos about it and so on so yeah i think yeah ukmt um and as you say you list so many in your presentation yeah we'll, we'll put a link but the, i think the thing is and i talked about opportunities for all because um mm. i think a lot of schools will just enter their top sets into the ukmt yes. challenge and actually what we did this year at my school was a little bit different where we we've offered it as an after-school club 
And then anyone that chooses to join that club will then get entered into the challenge. So we haven't said you have to be top set, although, of course, mainly it's our strongest students that have applied for it. But um, we I just I think it's quite nice to make it um, available to anyone. Um, And then those who want to have a go, because, you know, it's what it's about one pound 15 or something each. So, you know, if you have someone that wants to have a go and then and then finds it tricky, it's really not the end of the world. So um, it's just, you know, giving everyone that enjoys maths the opportunity to enter these things is, is a really is a really worthwhile thing to do. Absolutely. Right. Three to go, Joe. Look to the future. You'll need a strong understanding of this when you take A-level maths. I like that. Yeah. So I, I, I think I, I say that almost every lesson. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, I think so often when I'm teaching something, I'm, I'm just, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying they will take A-level maths and I know yes. that they won't all take it, but it's just part of my language with them. So I have a year eight class at the moment where I have one student who's very much a, um, challenges he's, he's a boy who recently asked me why why on earth would I be a teacher you know <laughs> miss why, why would you why would you become a teacher when, when you go to university it's like how dare you um anyway so obviously I gave him a big lecture on that um but the um he he questions everything in terms of why why do we need to know this you know he's one of these why do we yeah. need an algebra kids um and so now I don't even get to the I don't I don't get to the point where he can ask the question because I've already answered it and the answer is the same every time it's like because when you get to A-level maths you're going to need a really strong understanding of this and I'm basically talking about how all, all maths leads on to, to the the higher levels of maths and we're basically on this journey towards a level um and that's our goal and i and they never say oh but i'm not going to take a level maths you know they, they just kind of sit there nodding at me and they sort of you know i sort of think oh, gosh I, I maybe all of them are going to take it now because i've i've basically <laughs> and they're only they're only young i mean this lot haven't even started thinking about their um their GCSE options yeah but um yeah I think it's just it's just in our language isn't it you know and it's the same you get these schools I remember when King Solomon Academy was the the new school that everyone talked mm-hmm. about and they remember they had that thing where they they talked about that road to university and they talked about yes. right from year seven do you remember they used, to, they used to say that the class of say 2025 yes. and that's the year they were going to graduate or whatever it was so yeah and they always talked about the road to university and yeah well, it's not saying that all our students will go to university we know that and we know that university is not the only route um for, for our students but and I know that A-level maths isn't the only route for my students but if I talk about it then it's just showing that high level of expectation um and showing them that what we're doing has a a kind of purpose and an, and an end goal so yeah that's again interesting you've said that and one of the the shifts i've made in the past i was all about why are we doing this well because you'll need this in real life oh no i don't do that yeah and particularly trying to shoehorn in some of the worst examples of real life you know of expanding brackets and so on blah 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 but now i'm i'm much more inclined to talk about the big picture we're doing this because next year we'll be doing this which is related to it and then in two years time you'll be able to do this amazing thing and so on i think that's much for a start it's true it's much more Incredible for the kids and I think they they buy into that a bit more it's yeah. exciting knowing that it's le- always leading to something as opposed to yeah you're definitely gonna be using this every day when you leave school and yeah so on. We all know that I, I like that sense. yeah 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 I like that I like right final two Joe um high levels of enthusiasm and an abundance of opportunities for success both inside and outside of the classroom what, what do you mean there I guess I mean I sort of think about there's a really lovely culture in my school and particularly maths is very much um you know we've done students voice that's that students love maths in my school um and I think you know we the, the maths department is a is, is a place where they they come to their maths lessons and they and they they get praise and they and they have opportunities to get things right and they sort of feel really good about maths 
and then um, their teachers are full of enthusiasm and and it's just that kind of that that culture is really important and I just think when I think back to key stage three maths I just I never forget when I and there was a teacher that I worked with before who spent the first lesson with her year seven class basically having them sit in absolute silence and she just lectured them for an hour on the expectations of behavior and that was their first math lessons of secondary and I just think that's that's to me that's just all wrong like you just need to go with that love of maths and show that real passion and just get them really excited from the beginning um and I've had um I've had some I've had some lovely moments of my year seven already this year where I've you know they've they've I've shown them with cool stuff. I'm like, let me show you this really cool thing that I've that I've recently learned. Like, hey, does anyone know the visibility test for 11? Because I only learned it myself last year, and it's really fun. And then they get really excited by it, and it's just really it's that enthusiasm just really transferring over to them. And so they're leaving the mass classroom with a smile on their face. Um, and you know, even you know, we can it, it, we can do this for the whole of Key Stage Three. But I just really feel that in a lot of schools, that's that might not be happening you know it's it's not they're not the students aren't getting this really positive experience um so yeah I think um and students students enjoy things where they can get some success so that that praise is really important um and that praise could come from them winning competitions outside the classroom or 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 getting puzzles right outside the classroom or whatever but also it can just come from it being woven through our teaching you're right. And it's related to um, several of the things that you've said already, but particularly this carefully planned curriculum, because that's one of the advantages of Key Stage 3. As we've discussed, we don't have this exam hanging over our heads. So if we end up taking an extra lesson for something because we've gone off on a tangent, it's, it's not as big an issue as it might be for Year 11 or perhaps even Year 10. But it's having that flexibility built into the curriculum to, to allow for these opportunities and providing these opportunities as well, as we're going to talk about when we, when we mention resources. Yeah, you're absolutely right and actually that's one of the things that bothers me about following my mat um, scheme of work is that I don't feel like enough time is given for anything mm. and and we and when you when you rush it you just lose all of that yes. loveliness you lose that enthusiasm and passion because you don't get the, the time to bring it in um you know I was um I was doing a lesson on percentage increase and decrease with my year eight yesterday and I think I, I was trying to I was talking to him about different words you can use for increase and we kind of mentioned um I basically I wanted to talk to him about how um sort of depreciation would be suggested a percentage decrease and stuff like that mm. and then I, I realized you know they don't know what interest is and they don't know what VAT is and we just had this really lovely discussion about about VAT and they had all these sort of questions and they were really interested (laughs) and you sort of have to just think you know I I have got time to do this I don't have to stop them from asking me questions about how tax works in general because they're Mm. learning something from me and yeah it may be a little bit off the maths curriculum and I may have I may have gone off on a bit of a tangent but this is a worthwhile experience for my students and they're going to leave my maths lesson knowing more about um, the world which is really important absolutely absolutely and final thing on your list joe um, don't try to implement everything i've mentioned today at once now i'm really pleased you ended with this this is how i end every talk and workshop now that you know hopefully you've left it with loads of ideas but if you try and do everything at once it's going to be an absolute disaster so yeah is, is that what you're getting out there joe it's yeah. a bit too much to, to change all in one go i think that the point is that i mentioned lots and lots of team competitions individual competitions lots of enrichment but i, I don't want to i'm not pretending that my school does all of these things you know mm. we have a lot Lovely key stage three, partly because we don't have key stage four and five, and that's why ours is, is going so well. But also because we we don't try and do all these things, but we have done some of them. So, you know, we we do the UKMT challenges, um, we use Hegarty Maths, which is really high quality. Um, we um we are led by a, a really strong head of maths who um 
does really well on sort of giving feedback to teachers on on consistency across the department and stuff like that. And we have all these lovely things in place, but we certainly don't have every single thing that I listed here. And, and it is overwhelming when you um, say, so I know a lot of key stage three coordinators came to my talk and a lot of them sort of straight away wanted to implement kind of everything I said. Mm. And, and that's not that's not possible. We don't have the time to, to do even the basics sometimes. So we just have to pace ourselves and maybe kind of focus on one or two things a year to implement. And once they're up and running, then they just kind of get on the, you know these things just run and they it's it's the it's the it's the introducing new things that takes the workload so really that should that should be limited to a couple of things a year fantastic right joe so as we move towards the end i just want to now turn to the kind of teaching aspect of this just tell me some of the things you're loving about key stage three what have been some of your favorite moments throughout the year you've mentioned the divisibility uh, rules and a bit of vat Any, anything else that stood out to you has um, been a magic moment well, yeah, I mean, I've, I really, it's interesting because, you know, I've got that thing with with year nine, I had that thing where we, we, we started the year, it was a bit dull because we were doing a bit of recap of stuff. So we did some decimals, you know, and we did some, we did some fractions and, and, and that's really frustrating because what we should have done was started with something that was new in year nine. But then in, like, last week we started angles and polygons. Um, with year nine and I haven't taught that in a long time I've only taught these things once or twice before in my career because bear in mind when I've only taught year 11 12 and 13 it means that a lot of key stage three stuff I've just never taught yes, so um, yes. I did angles and polygons and I and I you know I tried something new there so I only taught exterior angle method I didn't oh, really... I saw that on Twitter controversial yeah, that. But it yeah. Mean, I, I thought you know I love this that I get to try new things and I don't because I normally teach GCSE I don't experiment with stuff but here's my mm. opportunity and I thought when I wrote my book about methods, I have a chapter in there on angles and polygons. And you know the N minus two triangles method. Yes. Um, I've taught that for years, and, and I never occurred to me that there are different ways of splitting the triangles. Um, you know, mm. sometimes the students get a bit confused. I mean, sometimes students don't know what the hell's going on with these triangles, but they kind of <laughs> yeah. they, they still perform well in the lesson. You know, they they they're, all students do well in that lesson where they draw the triangles and fill in the damn table. Like every student <laughs> in the world can do well in that lesson. Doesn't mean they have a clue what's really going on there. Yes. So anyway, when I when I wrote the book, I realised there were loads of different ways of splitting the the polygons up, and then therefore different formally that came out of it but um whenever i solve a polygon question myself i always do an exterior angle because i just find it's it's you know if you think about the number of steps involved it's just mm. it's just quicker you know literally 360 divided by number of sides and then and then take away from 180 and you've got the interior angle and then and so i decided just to teach that method this year and it's been it's been um it's been interesting actually i've got some i might write a blog post about it. i've got some reflections on it um but the um I love it that I get to experiment with stuff. And so that was the first great topic I taught this year with um, year nine. Um, with year seven, I've just, I have so much fun on divisibility laws. I absolutely love that. But also <laughs> all the algebra stuff is, is yeah, I love doing that with year seven. It's so, so exciting for them. And then year eight, I did index laws. You know, with, with index Oh, you laws, love yeah, that. I get you to do my topics in depth stuff. Um, and then, but then we went on to algebra. And I mean, God, I love teaching algebra. Doesn't everyone, like, you know, just like expanding double brackets, just so much fun. So, and along the way, I've used all my lovely, you know, my my Don Stewart resources and my MathsPad resources and CIMT. So they're my sort of big three. Um, a variation theory, I've been using quite a lot of that. Legally obliged yes, to say. Legally that, obliged so, so they're, I guess, they're my big four that I've been using a lot of. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you say with with Don Stewart because the the perception for many is that that's key stage four, right? That that's hard extension key stage four stuff. But are you find you're finding plenty of key uh, stage yeah, three? Yeah, I use it all the time. I mean, particularly you know, like his practice makes perfect stuff, which was on a different blog originally, but then he moved it all over. And it, people who use Don Stewart's blog, if they search in the tags for PMP, so that's practice makes perfect, then the whole lot come up. 
And they're really good for that. So if you have to teach year seven arithmetic, and it was really, the way I taught year seven arithmetic this year was totally different to how I've done it before. When I got to the multiplication lesson, instead of saying, let me just remind you how to do multiplication. First of all, we talked about, you know, I, I said, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a column multiplication on the board. And I, I reckon you've all seen this method before. And of course, they all had seen column multiplication because we know they have to do it in their sats these days. Mm. But I just, I just, I basically played, I played the fool for a while. So I was like, right, I can't quite remember how to do this because I never do this. So you're all going to have to watch me really carefully and tell me if I go wrong. And then, and then I did a load of multiplications on the board. And, then, and it's so sweet because they're all like, they put their thumbs up to me. They're like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, do tell me if I go wrong because I do make silly mistakes. So I, and then that's my way of them... Um, basically teach and then the ones in the classroom who've kind of forgotten how to do it are learning and the yes. ones who of course they remember how to do it they think they're just helping their stupid teacher yes, so yes, I've been yes. doing I mean I feel like my um I feel like my kind of narrative and my uh performance I mean I shouldn't if teaching shouldn't be a performance but I feel like I do a bit of performing with my yes oh yeah um I mean funnily enough after all that I was doing a lesson the other day oh we were going for a, a sats question in the starter and um and I made a total mess of a multiplication on the board and I got it wrong. Like and I, I genuinely got it wrong. And then I did another one and got it wrong. And then and then they were all like getting quite shocked at this point because I basically did three in a row that I got wrong. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend. I said to them, look, genuinely, I'm really sorry, I'm having a bad day and I seem to have forgotten how to multiply. <laughs> but you know, all these things are just um it's good to, it's good for them. I mean, I do a lot of modeling, obviously, you know, teachers do work things out on the board. So I don't just put up the answers to things. I normally work them out in front of them and then they can see me doing the working out. Um but yeah, that's um that was actually that was quite lovely that they were um they were very amused by my mistakes, but it was it's good for them to see that, isn't it? That's nice. So you, you say in terms of resources, just to recap there, obviously Don Stewart's Median, yeah. um, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um, you mentioned MathsPad and you always say that that's the one kind of paid premium site that you are happy yes. to recommend. You oh, think God, it's Gosh, I use MathsPad. Um, I think that's my most commonly used Key Stage 3 resource. Yeah, I use MathsPad all the time. I love that stuff. Um, obviously variation theory everybody's chatting about that um why, why wouldn't you and um, but cimt was was that your fourth one and, and yeah, how, how, do, how do you use how do you use that well Jeff? that's that's normally that's my kind of um copy and paste type thing so you know yes. then i just i want a set of good quality questions and to put on a powerpoint side and there they are i just know that i can go to cimt cimt or corbett maths are most common that i use for we know where i just want um a, you know i just want to hear sort of a drill exercise almost so it's like yes. i've just taught you how to factorize so now there's uh 10 questions on the board and i use boss maths for this as well so there's 10 questions on the board I'm going to put four minutes on the timer, go. And then they, you know, that quick bit of practice, um, I, I use, yeah, like I say, Corbett Maths, Boss Maths and CIMT. And I just, and I just know straight away I'm going to get good quality. CIMT is so good for the angle stuff. Like their angles questions yeah. are brilliant. Um, and you've got the, you've got the answers and they've all been checked. Yeah, yeah. Particularly where, questions. yeah, because you've, where you've put them on tears, they come in those little bundles and yeah. they're, um, they're really helpful. But also there's some, when I taught angles and polygons to year nine, the CIMT, they've got some really nice scaffolded stuff. So it's literally a, it's a sheet that really nicely says, um, if you sort of fill in the gaps as you go through working out an angle problem. And CIMT have quite a lot of stuff like that. And it's stuff I haven't used so much before. But, you know, if you have a slightly weaker class, then they have these lovely scaffolded sheets with filling the gaps. And so that's something I've been using a bit. I, I realised that I, when I answered your Don Stewart question, I totally didn't answer it. Um, Don Stewart, yeah, absolutely brilliant stuff in the P, in the PMP section for fluency, but also rich tasks. 
So that's what I like about Don Stewart. Like a lot of his stuff starts with fluency practice. Mm. And then as the task progresses, they the the questions become a bit more, you know, think backwards or think deeper. And that, that that makes to me that makes them absolutely perfect for kind of a mixed key stage three class. And there's normally a bit of generalisation at exactly. the end, or and a it, yeah, or something. yeah, nice. It's always got a good level of challenge in, but certainly accessible. So yeah, I'm using them all the time. Fantastic. Right. Well, to wrap things up, Joe, um, now this is a little twisty. I had one question for you, but just when I was eating my breakfast, just about to record, I was on Twitter and I saw Danny Quinn had posted a question. I thought that is a good question that I, I want to be asking Joe Morgan. So my first question for you is, uh, how have you changed as a teacher in the last few years, knowing all that you now know? So you're good. I mean, you're well into your career now, Joe. You're also you're in a new school. You probably know more about math resources than, than anybody around you. We often chat on the podcast talking about both research, uh, research, resources, methods, and so on and so forth. You've researched for your book. What would you say the biggest change in your way of either approaching teaching or teaching itself would be? Um. To, to be honest, I think it's the way I think it's the the things I say in the lesson. I think it's my narrative. Like I've just got this real. I think you know, obviously, your confidence builds over the years, doesn't it? And I think that now I'll I'll just kind of um, I, I'll I'll bring in the kind of stories about things, and I'll talk about mm. oh, I'll say oh yeah, I had this student once who did this, and I'll show them, mm. and I'll be like oh, why would they do that? So I've got these kind of these kind of this this side of my teaching now which didn't used to exist because it couldn't have existed when I was a new teacher which just where where I'm basically telling my, my students now and this is what my students have done in the past and oh here's this really interesting thing that I found out once and and it's basically just a whole load of narrative which means that my lessons are very different to how they used to be where I really was just kind of delivering powerpoints before and I think now it's a much richer teaching experience but I really think that that just comes with kind of experience you know my own experience I just think that as you've been in the classroom longer you've just kind of got more to say um to make it a richer experience for students I don't know but that's a really it's a really great answer that yeah and I when I was researching my first book that this power of narrative the story mm. structure was coming through really resonates with kids and that's yeah that's that's a lovely answer did you see actually. my um tweet about um Jamie Escalante this week <laughs> I don't think I follow you on Twitter. What <laughs> you, what you, no, no, I missed this one. Go on, what so, um, this is just an example of this. So when I do multiplying negatives um, and the whole negative times a negative is a positive, and you, you know mm. there's so many misconceptions that come from that, and the particular one you want to avoid is them thinking that negative sevens minus two is going to be a positive yes, answer yes. you don't want to think a negative and a negative is a positive mm. but but we do want them to know that when they multiply them together you get a positive and there's yes. all sorts of ways of explaining that and I like to talk about the patterns I show them the big number grid where you've got the patterns and you can kind of mm. see you can see why they end up positive and I know some people use their uh, counters and tiles and stuff for this sort of thing but basically when I introduce the topic I, sh I show them the clip from the film Stand and Deliver and in the film Sands and Liver, the, the teacher, Jamie Escalante, who was amazing, who basically um, taught in a really tough school in Los Angeles, I think in the 80s, and took really tough kids who were all kind of in gangs and stuff. And he basically got them all to, to do their AP calculus. And then he got accused of cheating because no one believed children like that could <laughs> do so well in maths. And he's a great story. If you watch the film, Sand, have you seen Sand and Deliver? No, I haven't. No, no, no. It's, it's an old film, but it's, it's, a, it's a film about a maths teacher. So it's worth watching. Anyway, um. 
there's a scene in that film where he gets this class and they all look like they're about 18 years old and they're all sort of really tough kind of um, Los Angeles kids. He gets them to chant and negative times are negative as positive and he gets them to chant it over and over again. And then right at the end, he just turns to them and he says, why? So what I do is I always show that clip when I when I introduce the topic. So I show them the clip and then they, they watch it where they're all chanting and then I get them to chant it because I say, look, they're chanting yeah. it. Let's chant it. So we chant a negative times a negative positive. And I say, right, now that teacher's asked why and I'm going to ask you the same question. And, of course, they don't really know the answer to this. And I, then, I, then I sort of show them all the various patterns and ways of, of understanding it. But um, what the, the beautiful thing this year was that before I'd shown them the clip, I said, right, I want to tell you about a teacher called Jamie Escalante and this boy put up his hand and I and he said miss I know about him and I thought no way there's no way that year seven knows about an 80s maths teacher in Los Angeles and he said you know that there's you know you get these books now there's one called rebel girls and there's one a boys one and it's about like say 100, 100 men that changed the world or whatever yes there's a page in this book about Jamie Escalante. Nice. And this boy had not only read this book, which is beautiful, that I've got a year seven book, a year seven boy who's telling me that he has read a book about the men who changed the world. Not only has he read this book, which I love, and he wants to talk about it in a maths lesson, but also he remembered everything about Jamie Escalante. So he sat there and told my class, yeah, he's a maths teacher in Los Angeles, taught a really tough class, and he got him to do this really hard exam, and everyone thought he cheated. You know what? Nice. This is why I like teaching Key Stage 3. <laughs> Fantastic, Joe. Now, if only that was the uh, the question to end on, that'd be a perfect ending. But as I say, I'm going to drag this out for one more question. Uh, because I, I saw on Twitter, as I say, this post uh, posted by friend of the podcast, uh, Danny Quinn, yeah. who said, um, I thought it was a really interesting one. Is there anything you've dropped yeah. that you would bring back? That I bring back. Yeah, anything you used to do in your early years that, for whatever reason, has, has fallen by the wayside. Oh, that no, you, you know kind what? of miss that you miss a bit. The first thing that comes into my mind, but and, and I'm thinking, I saw other people reply with this. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about the first years that I taught case stage three was card sorts, and I did see yeah. other people reply with this. And the thing is, then I worked. I, I remember in my first two years, I basically my whole life was laminating and guillotining because I was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. making them and then we had them in boxes for the whole department to use and that was a school where the card sorts didn't end up all over the floor so they you know they we could keep using them in other lessons um and I think I've kind of I moved away from that and I don't I'm not I don't know I think I need to think about whether that's something I'd want to bring back um you know I think there are real pros and cons to those card sorts I mean the collaboration's lovely but you just you know that when you circulate around the room sometimes those conversations aren't quite what you yeah. have in mind and they're not it's just sometimes it's so hard to see that maybe one of the two students is benefiting so sometimes you know you've got a pair where one just knows all the answers and it's just a waste of time for the other one or you know those conversations aren't always you know so I, I'm not sure about that I mean that's the only thing I can think of that I used to do a lot of and I've really stopped um and then now I'm thinking is that is that something that I should think about bringing back um and I'm, I'm not really sure to be honest yeah it's a good question though isn't it i think i'm gonna start asking my podcast guests this it's a good yeah, uh, it's good. yeah it's a good one to ponder yeah. anyway uh joe as ever it's always been a pleasure i think you've probably been on this podcast more than i've been on this podcast yeah, winner, over, over, yeah. over over the years now um <laughs> and all the all the links to your appearances you you put down the side of your blog which I is do, great so yeah, people want to kind of check 
because you were one of the first ever guests. So if people want to kind of track your uh, your development as a teacher, this is not a bad place to, to, to start. Yeah, it's funny. I, to... Almost, I wish you would get rid of that one. I don't want anyone to look at that. I've no idea what I did in that podcast years ago, but it was probably all nonsense. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, it's actually relevant to what Danny says. We change so much as teachers yeah. over the years that even now when people read my old um, blog posts, I'm a little bit cringy because I think, I, I don't know what I said there, but I probably don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're always changing, always learning. Yeah, we are. So, um, as always, thank you so much. I know you've got a cushy two-week half term ahead of you, but this is the first day of it, the first morning of it. We're recording this on a Saturday, so I really appreciate you giving up your time. And as ever, Joe, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast. So there you have it. There was my interview with regular podcast guest, Joe Morgan. I always learn loads whenever I'm lucky enough to hear Joe speak at a workshop, just talk to her casually or get her on the show. So I hope you got a load out of that like I did. Now, I thought it would be useful in this takeaway section of the show just to reflect back on Joe's simple strategies for improving Key Stage 3 mathematics. And I'll put um, an image of all these strategies in the show notes just so you can follow along. But I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts I've had about some of them that I didn't get a chance to delve into depth with uh, when I was chatting to Joe as part of the interview. So the first one, consistency in key stage three teaching, routines, expectations and behaviour. We know consistency um, is a massive one. I'll tell you where I've really seen this come into play. Now I talk a lot about low stakes quizzes. I'm obsessed with low stakes quizzes. It's part of my kind of uh, revolution that I've gone under following my mid-career crisis where I look back on the first 12 years of my teaching career and realise that I, I wasn't really building in any opportunities for students to retrieve anything that they'd learnt in the past. So my teaching just became one continual cycle of teach it, they get it, move on, oh they've forgotten it, so best teach it them again. It was an absolute disaster. Whereas now, um, I think low-stakes quizzes are a really, really good way to build in scheduled, structured retrieval opportunities um, across all year groups, but particularly Key Stage 3. But here's the thing. Um, over the last couple of years, I've been really lucky to, to travel the world, really, working with um, maths departments in lots of different situations. And those that have made low-stakes quizzes work in the long run, so not just for a couple of weeks, but over a couple of months and even a couple of years, the, the kind of factor that that links them together are they're the ones who've got a consistent routine for it across the department across the department so for example um all of year eight know that they do their low stakes quiz on a thursday afternoon or a tuesday morning or whenever it is or if the year group split into one half does it on a tuesday morning one half does it on a wednesday morning but it's never the case that one class is doing it one time and one class is doing it another time also the low stakes quizzes look the same not necessarily in terms of the content because they may be bespoke to the class but the structure, the confidence scores, how they're marked, um, how the teacher goes through the answers, all those things um, are the same. And what that means is that students realise, oh, wow, actually, um, the, the staff here are taking this seriously. Our teachers are taking this seriously. And then st students start to get used to it. Oh, right, we always do a quiz on a Tuesday. And they start to talk about it with their friends outside of their classroom. Oh, how did you do on the quiz? How did blah, blah, blah. And it just, it raises its status. So Joe, um, rightly so, is mentioning consistency across Key Stage 3. We know consistency 
opportunities are important um, across everything, whether it's behavior, expectations, or whatever. But just that specific example of, of where I've seen low stakes quizzes work, they work where departments do them consistently. They don't work where one teacher goes off and does one thing, another teacher goes off and does another, and so on. That's where it tends to fall apart. And um, the other thing, quality teaching, head of department or key stage three coordinator leads by example. It's so important that, um, now I, I again, um, I know I'm sounding like a broken record here. I've been lucky enough to, to visit and work with lots of schools over the last few years. It's really interesting when you see a head of department's timetable. You, you tend to see two different timetables going, going around with heads of department. One is where they're very much tied to the exam classes. And this is often in schools where perhaps results haven't been so great over the last few years or perhaps where there isn't um, an, uh, a lot of... Um, kind of deep subject knowledge in terms of A-level teaching, so only a few teachers can teach A-level, or perhaps where there's um, high staff churn, so um, lots of NQTs, lots of new teachers coming in, so um, the decision's made that actually let's have some established good teachers on those exam classes, because we can't um, hide from the fact that schools are judged by results, and, and these results are so important for the kids as well. And then you go into other schools where you look at a heads of department timetable and you couldn't really distinguish it from another teacher's timetable, apart from, you know, the possibly fewer classes on there. But I mean, in terms of the spread of classes, the, the head of department will have a year seven class or a year nine class and so on. And it's the latter that if, if it's feasible, and I'm not so naive to say that, you know, this is this is easy for every school to do, but if it's feasible, it makes such a difference because it means that the head of department or the key stage three coordinator or whoever can really join in in those pedagogical teaching and learning discussions in departmental meetings about the next year eight topic that's coming up or about the challenges that have happened whenever year eights did their assessment and so on, as opposed to just having to kind of guess a little bit about it because they're not there in the thick of it. Now, as I say, it's not always possible, but when you can, if you can get to that stage where the, the classes and year groups can be can be spread around and teachers of um, different responsibilities have got those classes, it can make a huge difference both for the kids and also for the for the less experienced teachers who are teaching those year groups. Um, CPD, departmental focus. Another thing I'm obsessed with is departmental meetings. And I, I love sitting in on departmental meetings and speaking to heads of department and, and teachers with responsibility in the departments about making them effective. And trying to get teaching and learning at the heart of those departmental meetings is, is so important. I visited a school um, last academic year where they did their departmental meetings, their sorry, the teaching and learning aspect of their departmental meetings in the mornings. Now, on, on paper, it looked really good because I think they were meeting twice a week for 15 minutes just to focus on teaching and learning, no admin or anything. But the problem was, because it was in the morning before period one, teachers' minds were on that period one and, and teachers were having to, if you were teaching the opposite side of the building, you're having to leave a bit early, perhaps you've got your coffee, you're in a rush and so on and so forth. It's perhaps the first time that you've seen your colleagues in the morning, so you're chatting about that. And actually when it came down to it, there wasn't, there wasn't all that much time left over for dedicated teaching and learning. Now, CPD time like that, departmental meetings, is so valuable. You've got a room full of subject experts, all of which have got shared experiences about the context and challenges of the school. You've got to get the most out of that time. Now, once again, I'm not so naive as to, to say that, oh, everyone should sit down for two hours a week and just chat about fractions or something. But teachers have got lives and also they've got other things that need doing, unfortunately, like those admin things and so on in departmental meetings. But again, I can only speak from experience of, of seeing where this works in, in successful schools. 
and that is when it's planned in advance so staff know in advance what the what the focus of the meeting's going to be in terms of CPD perhaps they're asked to prepare something that load is is spread around it's not just a case that everybody brings something to every meeting there's there's uh, because that's when you get a bit of a kind of show and tell and it's just a bit of a rush through particularly if you've got a large department it works well if one week you know three people are doing a focus on percentages and then the next week it's a different three people and so on that way you get a bit more bit more depth to it i think it works well when it's um at the start of the meeting as opposed to at the end of the meeting i think it works well if there's a follow-up to it so perhaps if the focus is on fractions then let's the next time we get together before we move on to the next topic let's talk about what worked and what didn't work I like it when there's a focus not just on resources, but also on misconceptions, questions, modeling, examples, and so on. Now, um, Joe's topic in depth uh, sessions that I've been lucky enough to interview her for are an excellent place to start this. And also big plug alerts, really subtle this, our Marvelous Maths 2 looks at three topics in depth and, and how you can use them, starting with the misconceptions, moving on to methods, and then the mastery via the resources and activities. Um, so there's just a few a few takeaways. Just one of the final one. I really really liked that about this look into the future point that Joe made. So speaking to the kids always, you'll need a strong understanding of this when you take A level maths. Now again, that, that you've got to be careful here, haven't you? You don't want you don't want unrealistic expectations for for, for students that you know inevitably they're going to be disappointed with. But at the same time, you know, who are we to be ruling out kids in year seven, year eight, and even year nine for taking A-level when we know kids can develop at different speeds, that, that, that kids can, can have a change in work ethic and all this kind of stuff. So for young kids, if we're talking about when you take A-level maths, when you take it, this is what you're coming up. This is the exciting maths that this is going to lead to. I just think that's a great message. And again, it goes back to consistency. If every teacher's saying that, wow, what, what a fantastic message to, to, to be going around. And as I mentioned to Joe, for me, that far surpasses um, the, the, the terrible technique I used to have, which was, oh yeah, you'll be using this, we're learning this because you're going to use this every day when you leave school. And the kid's like, no, I'm, I'm really not, are we, sir? So I really, really like that. Um, anyway, there, um, I'll put a link to all those simple strategies in the show notes so you can, you can take a look for them. And I'll also put a link to Joe's presentation um, so you can download that as well. So all that remains for me to do is to thank a few people. So obviously thank you to Joe Morgan for giving up her time. Always a pleasure to speak to her. Thank you to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout the show. Thank you to Alpha Cards for, for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you to all my lovely Patreon supporters who enable me to hopefully improve the sound quality. Hopefully you've noticed that now we've gone a bit fancy with Zencaster for, for recording. It's only because of my Patreon supporters that I can afford to do that and also afford to keep my wife and son happy um, to allow me to actually spend hours recording and producing these things. And one final plug, um, a huge thank you to you, the lovely loyal listeners. If you did want to support my work and Joe's work, we try and do as much as we can for, for free. But I personally have been hit quite hard by this, um, by the, the, the obviously the school shutdown and the the, the end of face-to-face -face CPD for, for potentially quite a long time by the looks of things. All my talks have been cancelled. So if you're looking for a way to help support us, but not just in terms of a charity case, we're actually hopefully giving quite a bit bit to you here um think consider signing up to our marvelous maths too honestly like i can't speak about my stuff but joe's stuff is absolutely incredible how good it is it's the kind of thing that you can do individually you can do 
uh, with your mate, you can do as a department. It's, it's, it's hours and hours of CPD that could last weeks and months if you keep dipping back to it. And it's a really reasonable price, I think, anyway. So, so please check that out and consider doing that. Anyway, I'll shut up now. You take care of yourselves. Bye for now.